Activision oui. is suing Anthony Fantano for misusing IP laws by demanding payment for their TikTok use of his viral Enough Slices audio. That's a music reviewer, right? Like he's yes. like, a, like a YouTube guy? Yeah. So he asked Activision. Activision made a TikTok using his It's Enough Slices audio. And he's asking Activision for payment. And so Activision is suing him. What? So I that's that can happen. For can it? I don't know. <laughs> this is why TikTok was a mistake, everyone. I mean, there this are is, many this reasons. Is, this has been the thing. All all it takes is one. All it takes is one person to sh- to 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 poop in the bed, and here we are. But who's who's pooping in the bed? Is it Activision pooping in the bed, or is it Anthony that's the thing. pooping in the bed? We we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. It's Bobby and Kyle. you know what? Yeah, I mean, I think we can all. <laughs> he just looks like say, a bed pooper. It's Bobby Kotick. <laughs> he does have the look of a bed pooper. <laughs> what are wow. we? Wow, is this the podcast? Hey, everybody, oh, welcome, welcome to the podcast. No, that was it. We're, this is it. <laughs> we're in a friends per second. Bland if we don't want to go with that one, that was excellent. I thought I, no, that was that. I think that's we're good. the one. We're rolling with it. Let's we're go. It. This is friends okay. per second. Let's go. We're here. Okay, let's go. What is that that you guys keep saying? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> okay, okay. Jake, when you were doing tech, I sent I sent Lucy a video. It's in our our, our chat. Uh it's this it's like this I want to say it's like Swedish these just this, this guy and oh, this kid. Yeah. And they're just like watching model trains and 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 there's techno music playing and they're just doing you know like that like that early 2000s like Yo, welcome to the station. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm DJ Rozelle, like that kind of thing. It's that, but it's just this guy and this kid, and they're commenting that over watching model trains and stuff. And uh, at one point, the kid just goes, "Okay, let's go." But it's just like really, so very delicately, and very a delicate reverb. and subtle. <laughs> We're gonna put that in the show notes, and uh, and Stu, if you feel ambitious. I allow you to just show that one second clip, but well, this is not my then, channel. This then, is Ralph's. Then we'll get then we'll get sued and, by TikTok because it went viral and TikTok and last then year. That's the, circle, the circle. That's the circle. Friends per second. Jake, take it away. Hey, this is Friends per Second, episode twenty six. We're here. Can you believe it? We're in the continued arc of things, kind of in flux. Last week we didn't have Gerard. Uh, or no, Gerard was here. Were you here last week? I was here last week. You we didn't have you. I was. You were not here. <laughs> I was. And now Ralph yeah. is on vacation. Yeah. So he's it, with his family, and we, and he put us in charge. He met. He messed up putting putting like, us in charge with him with him gone. We take no responsibility for for the pooping bed of Bobby Kotick. You know what I mean? <laughs> Dad's out. He's left twenty dollars on the kitchen counter for pizza. Yep. And the, we will then get sued. The hounds yep. are in charge of the uh, uh, asylum. I the hound? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, so, pardon, pardon my, pardon my dust, though. If I look like I'm at like a haunted cabin or my video quality isn't great, I'm still in the process of moving. I don't have a desk yet, so bear with me. You guys look great. So mm-hmm. there's, there's why? That. Thank you. Uh, you guys feeling good? You feeling fresh? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm pretty good. I certainly. Uh, am. Yeah, I'm. I'm feeling good, Lucy. How are you feeling? I am feeling okay. I've come back from Comic-Con and it's very busy, but I, I like that. I like being busy, but it just feels like I don't really have a moment to catch my breath, I guess. However, uh, by the time this episode is up, 
I'm going to see a magician this weekend, guys. And I'm okay. very excited about it. That's cool. What's your What's your favorite kind of magic trick? Is it cards? Is it hold your breath deception? for 400 hours or eaten by a <laughs> like, tiger or um i so i'm not really ever i'm not a, i wouldn't say i wouldn't call myself a magic fan my favorite thing to do with magic is the prestige um that's cool. you know but the bloody double <laughs> but what not did he tie anyway um <laughs> so we've been to see this magician before uh a couple years ago and my buddy is in town from the UK and we're trying to think of something to do. Like Alcatraz was fully booked. So we're taking him to the number one rated magician in San Francisco. <laughs> and he's so good. He's a mentalist. So he does all that kind of weird stuff that makes you kind of want to throw holy water on him because he must be a demon because he knows oh, things that he should. I see. I see. But he's very good. That's, that's, that's my weekend. I, uh, we're, we're free from a, a serial killer in my local area. They finally caught him. <laughs> After That's like great. 15 years, the whole community is rejoicing because allegedly the local serial killer has been caught. It's pretty cool. Um, Jake, hold on, Jake. Can can I? I have one question. Yeah. Didn't you just move to this new neighborhood? Yeah. Did this not come up in any Google's? <laughs> oh, well, it's like the whole surrounding Long Island area. Like we're, oh, we're okay. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Like, um, Congratulations, Jake! You bought a home, and they caught the local serial killer. <laughs> Property value goes up, baby. Oh my god! It's like living in a Whole Foods catchment area. Like the property value, you know, you're in five miles to Whole Foods. But with serial killer success up. rates. <laughs> yeah, so that's good. The Gilgo Beach killer seemingly has maybe been caught. He still has to be like you know, you know, innocent yeah. until proven guilty. But. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been a wild like decade or so, so that's it's pretty cool. It's just just weird shit in our community, yeah. but you'll wow. probably hear about it on Netflix. So, oh yeah, oh, if you yeah. haven't already, yeah. look with with the strike, they they need to make a lot of unscripted content yeah. real quick. Exactly. So for those of you who like uh, murder mysteries and documentaries and whatnot, and and even weird shows like. Mm. Uh, Love Island or whatever. Prepare, because the flood is a coming. Oh, 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 so I actually, we should talk about video games at some point. But, uh, so I have a group of friends and we watch trash TV together. And one of them sent a new um, candidate for trash that we want to watch. It's called Deep Fake Love. It's on Netflix. Oh, yes. To win a big cash prize, 10 participants must guess whether their partner cheated or if they're being shown footage manipulated with deep fake technology. Oh, no. my God. That's, that's, no. that's worse than Absolutely I thought it was going to be. Absolutely not. That's no. awful. X, X, I am not. I refuse. No way, dude. No. Yep. Can you imagine... Scripted or not, imagine the ramifications yeah. of not trusting your partner enough oh. that you're going to watch a show that has, even if it's like, what is the prize? If they did it, you get a million bucks. Great. And then my relationship is over. Like, what? Who wins? Oh, no. But also, like, who wins? I'm sorry. What are you deep faking? Because I'm pretty sure deep fakes are not good enough to have, like, kissing, right? Because then you've got one person's face, another. They're I hope they're I, not that good. Look, they made they made Harrison Ford look significantly younger in the new Dial of Destiny Indiana Jones movie. And he looked weird when he moved. When yeah. he was not moving, he was fine. And that's Disney and ILM and, and Lucas. Like, if they can't make Harrison Ford look 
exactly as he was when he was a child doing Indiana Jones. You mean to tell me you're going to make that show work on Netflix and make it believable? No way. I'm out. I'm out. I will watch at least one episode and report back. But then again, I'm the type of person, I'm, I've been watching Is It Cake? And I was like, okay, damn, that, some, of the, some of those cakes are really good. good. And yeah. I, but, but I was like, I feel like I could tell if it is cake. And then I was watching it. I didn't realize that they put the judges like 30 feet away. <laughs> so there's no way they can see <laughs> if that is cake or not. They're just like, what? I haven't got my, my binoculars to check if this is cake. Anyway, Netflix, fine purveyor of... TV shows, movies, and uh, video games. So speaking of the writers and actors strike, you guys both went to San Diego Comic-Con, which was seemingly Mm -hmm. absent of a lot of the usual pomp and circumstance Mm -hmm. because of what's going on. So what was, Gerard, like, what was it like? How how was Comic-Con this year? Well, I went, I'll let Lucy go first because I went only on the last day. So Mm -hmm. I felt like all of the, the good stuff, the good announcements, the good reveals whatever you want to call them already happened throughout the weekend um so i'd I'd love to hear what what lucy experienced if at all anything so it also was my first ever comic-con my first ever san diego comic-con i've been to Mm. new york before and i've been to like the london i don't know if they are technically still comic-con branded i think they were for a while they were like mcn whatever um so this is my first ever san diego comic-con and it was a very weird show. It was fun. I had a I had a good time. But for me, and I'm sure you two can relate, going to a show as a member of the games media, whatever it is we are called, you expect to be in back-to-back appointments, getting stuff done, getting stuff uploaded. Um, you know, you are so busy. You don't have downtime. And I was just kind of amazed at this show because I would book things and it would be a photo opportunity an activation and i was like what coverage is that though and it was cool like i went to some i saw some really cool things but also a very privileged position as press i had a press badge that i didn't have to queue for anything really wow and there were some things that people that i had done and people would queue four hours for and i was like man in a year like this one too it is crazy that the lines were still so big but otherwise in terms of gaming stuff um did get to speak to ed boone and kelly who so kelly who is um in the new mortal kombat she's also in a bunch of other mortal kombats uh and for me i was like i'm supporting the strike i'm not going to ask her anything but in my head i was like oh my god she was in martial law which is a great show with that i loved from the 90s <laughs> also lady death strike from x-men 2 um Oh, cool. Yeah. She was so nice as well because we had to wait outside for about 10, 15 minutes because we had Jamie Lee Curtis in there talking about her new graphic novel. So, Jamie Mother Lee- Nature, let's go. What a woman, by the way. Very, very briefly met her, but she just has such a cool energy. She came in, she was such a laugh. She was very game for everything. So, yeah, like had those interviews. We did um, Star Wars Outlaws. Um, and then went to their panel, which was really cool. I wish I had more time to go to panels. The only ones I went to were the ones that Tam did with Stern Pinball and Marvel for the Venom Machine. Uh, the the one that our friend Chastity uh, moderated, which was Star Wars Outlaws. Uh, she cool. used to work at GameSpot and then uh, she's at Ubisoft now. Uh, and obviously the one that I moderated, <laughs> which was wild for a first Comic-Con experience. I got to moderate a panel for EA and Immortals of Abium. So very strange show, 
very fun. Um, I had a good time. But it also, like, I don't know about you, but I don't have the stamina for a five-day convention anymore. Because you had preview day, and mm-hmm. then you had Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So yeah. it's not just plus travel, plus settling, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. So it's not just like a you zip on over, and suddenly it's great. Yeah. Well, Chastity was saying that the first... Um, she said that the show floor was busier than usual because there was nothing really happening at Hall H. There were no panels. They they had to, most yeah. of the stuff they had there. So I I went on Sunday mm-hmm. and uh, I I only came for Sunday because I got invited by a, a friend of mine through a game company to come and check out the show floor. So uh, I went last year to Comic Con because I got to debut uh, episode one of God of Work in front of a live audience. Yeah. So that was really cool. Uh, so to return to Comic Con in like not an official capacity this year was different and weird because you you're used to having your badges that just let you go everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year that wasn't the case for me. So I just kind of walked around. Um, I tried to visit friends that I knew were at the show and that was a mistake just because I forgot that a lot of the friends I was trying to see were like celebrities and comic book enthusiasts mm-hmm. and stuff. So like, uh, I was trying to, uh, hang out with, um, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley, creator of Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. He's a friend of mine. And, uh, we have been trying to like sync up for the last couple of years because of COVID. And so I was like... Yeah, I'll just walk over to his like signing session and say hello. Like, yeah. No big deal. And I, I don't know why I thought that was acceptable. And so I just like try I walked over there and there were so many people in line. Oh, yeah. And uh I was like, hey Brian, what's up? Like I tried to get his attention. I was like, what am I doing? I'm I'm there's a line to see Brian Lee O'Malley. <laughs> yeah. Like my brain is not working. You're like, so I, I, know to, I know him. I know him. They're like, sure I, you do. I know him. I sure, just Grandpa, wanted to say to hello. Yeah. And then because I guess I guess I had a long week, so I just wasn't thinking properly. And so I was like, whatever, that's 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 fine. Um, And so I just shot him a text and was like, hey, man, I wanted to come by and say hi, but you were slammed. He's like, oh, we'll grab a drinks next week. And I'm like, all right, cool. Uh, But then I did the same thing with Jamie Lee Curtis, because I know Jamie Lee Curtis. She uh, was not at Comic-Con when I arrived, but they had this huge banner with her face on it. And I wanted I went to her booth and was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a copy of Mother Nature. Um. I don't know. Did you talk to her about Mother Nature at all, Lucy? Or I, wasn't you know do, about I wasn't it? doing the interview. Oh, okay. Um, I was outside chatting with Ed Boone and Kelly Hu. So, so Jamie wanted to, she partnered with a bunch of people to make Mother Nature uh, a graphic novel. She wanted to originally make it a film. And oh. so uh, it, that's kind of how it adapted. And so I've known about it for, for quite some time because she's always, when she visits the office, Full disclosure for everyone wondering why I know Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, her daughter works for me, and she's working for me for many, many, many years. So Jamie's like a second mom to me. Um, and uh, yeah, so I walked over to the booth to like try and, and buy a copy of Mother Nature, and uh, the people behind the booth were so weirded out by me because I, you know, have a weird homeless aesthetic sometimes <laughs> when I go somewhere, you know. I, I have a picture a big, of you from there. You looked great. You were in like a jacket and everything. I always try and look like the professional Gerard jacket gamer guy, but like jacket gamer guy. To ga- jacket gamer guy <laughs> compared to Comic-Con attendee, sometimes from far away, if you, you know, just like is it cake or not? You can't tell is it homeless or not. And so uh I went over to Jamie Lee Curtis's booth to like say hello and, and buy a book. And uh, the way that I guess the way that I was just being so like nonchalant about oh, it, it really like, it, it made it very uncomfortable. Yeah, they were like, I was like, hey, is Jamie here? And they're like, 
no, she's not. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I was like, is she gone for the day? Or and they were like, like oh, are she you was only her. Or like, what's yeah. Your and I was like, no. Asking? I was like, no, it's not like that. Uh, can I buy a copy of the book? And they were like, we're sold out. And I was like, oh, Damn. all right, well, thanks. And they were like, uh huh. Anything else? And I was like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. So that that was that was like the two weird interactions I had at Comic Con because I'm a weird dude. Uh, and then I just walked the show floor. A lot of Funko Pop stuff. A lot of. Uh, a blockbuster. They had like they had, there was two blockbuster two exhibits. Blockbusters on the what? show floor. <laughs> yeah. One, one, one was Lego blockbuster. Oh, that was cool. I did the I did a that was cool. tour video of that, and uh, they had they made um Lego covers of VHS tapes. So they had a Lord of the Rings one with, and they recreated the front cover of Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, and geez. I tried to steal it, but it was glued down. <laughs> Whatever Lego. I don't care. Sounds like you care, Lucy. Didn't want it anyway. No. So it's cool that it did end up that way. Like there was more yeah. focus on like the, the toys and, and the comic yeah. aspect of it. Right. I mean, I, yeah. I've never been to San Diego, but I, I've been in New York Comic Con and there is a whole massive wing of artists and oh. comic book writers and creators. And I like that. So it's like you even have the high level like Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis, but it's about her graphic novel. So it, yeah. it's kind of nice that it's almost like. Going back to nature, you know? Yeah, the nature's comics. back. The comics are taking over again. Yeah, Artist Alley, it was the one place where you just couldn't get anywhere fast. Like, And it was for good reason. Yeah. Because there was some amazing good. stuff on show. Uh, but I will say very quickly, the coolest thing I saw at San Diego Comic-Con. First of all, I saw, um, you know the guy who is, uh, he plays uh, Polka Dot in, um, the Polka Dot guy in Suicide Squad. He's yeah. in Blade Runner. Saw him randomly. That's cool. David Dal- Dalmash. Dalmachian. Yeah. Dalmachian. Saw him. I saw British comedian Michael McIntyre, which was very weird for me and Tam. We were like, what the? What the hell? Um, like in I Think You Should Leave. Um, but the coolest thing I saw was a board game, an AR board game. And this is the only... So we 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 booked the appointment because it's Batman. Okay. Okay. Tam and I'm I... In. Yeah, I was like, Tam, obviously, big Bat fan. I enjoy, I am an enjoyer of the Batman. It is, you. it's uh, Harley Quinn and the box opens up and she's back at Arkham Asylum as a doctor and you go through and everything, every like new puzzle, whatever, is in a case file in an envelope and you pull it out and you basically build Gotham with like card and then you scan it with a phone or like a tablet and it has AR so you're completing puzzles and then you have like this AR overlay to like, you know, find graffiti or something or find items in the Gotham that you've built. And I was already like, oh, this is super cool. Turns out the people who made it, uh, one of them designed uh, the Indiana Jones ride. Oh, wow. Like legit, ex- <laughs> like w- this this person at this company is like very high up, was an imagineer. And then I was like, okay, that's cool. What other AR stuff have you done? They did the Batman Why So Serious thing from The Dark Knight. But crucially for me, they did the Nine Inch Nails Year Zero ARG, which oh, is like wow. the one that's gone down in history. And I was like, oh, okay. Anyway, that was really cool. I should find the name of it because I had such a good time. Like we were just messing around with it and some of the puzzles were really cool. Is it just you like exploring the, fu- the the Batman fun stuff or are you Bat, is the idea you are Batman putting together these clues? No, you are Harley Quinn. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. it's called, oh. Um, cool. Oh, hell. 
I can't spell the board game. That's why. <laughs> oh, it's by. Sorry. Wow, there are so many Batman board games. Oh Shit. yeah, I'm not surprised. Oh yeah, I just searched it and I didn't. Yeah, that did not help me out at all. Oh, here he goes. Uh, Harley Quinn. Oh, that's it. Um, Arkham Files, Panic, and Gotham City. Arkham Files, Panic, and Gotham City. So I was like not uh, prepared to see an AR game like that, but it was really cool. Yeah, because I mean, I take it you're not usually like running to go check out the hottest new AR well, we, thing. Well, we don't really cover board games much yeah. on GameSpot or Giant Bomb. Um, but I'm really glad we took that appointment. We're getting we're getting one to the office, so Tam and I at least will play. But that was really cool. And then otherwise, you know, like there there was uh, Street Fighter. There was like hands on for that. We interviewed Harada for Tekken and Michael Murray. Well, Tam did. I just stood there because I was like, I'm not the fighting game person. <laughs> um, we had like, we hung a- we hung out with Harada at his birthday at yeah. Summer Games Fest. Oh yeah, yeah. that was funny. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> to birthday. Happy birthday to Harada. Harada. Uh, yeah, we just and those beefy boys. Um, those beefy boys we had uh, so fandom had a party um, which was awesome but, and they had a K-pop band playing and it was a big deal and it was really fun that was kind of a side of things I've never seen before like a big comic con party because Entertainment Weekly cancelled um, IGN's still happened so I went to that as well um, and that, that was really fun it was just it, honestly it was just nice to have everyone kind of in the same place kind of how you feel around Summer Game Fest E3 Game Awards like folks in town and you just don't see but yeah, it was a fun but weird show. I had a good time. It's a good review. That's all, that, that's all that matters. Yeah. If you had fun, that's where it's at. The one thing I'm disappointed in is that there was a Peanuts um, activation because it's 50 years since Camp Snoopy. Or and Charlie Brown, that, like, piece, that piece of shit. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, excuse me. How could you? So, oh, uh, do you hate Charlie Brown? Yeah, no, I, Charlie I, Brown. Thing. I got like you a You hate Charlie Brown? Yeah, I got a big problem with that guy. I like that he has like seemingly crippling anxiety that's oh he does uh, yeah he's a, de- he's a depressed that. little boy I, like nobody really likes him and i like that but <laughs> i just never got into that stuff except for the music all the music all the oh, music yeah. is like top tier bangers the i just Vince don't get the show the new movie is actually really good from a few years ago is that the one where al roker like dressed up like him or something was that a hallucination that's a thing. Maybe? That's no. That that is a thing. That is a thing. Um, I don't know why that popped in my head first. I I'll, apologize. I'm, go- I'm googling. Yo, I'm about to. I'm about to make you guys depressed. Yo, Jake, I think you would love this play. That is an unofficial play. It came out in 2004 in August 2004. Uh, it is called "Dog Sees God: Confessions of a Teenage Blockhead," and it is about how all of the peanuts gang has grown up snoopy is dead and all of the peanuts are trying to help charlie brown deal with the grief of snoopy being gone oh no no i'm reading this oh it is dark it is very dark it is uh, i i love it because it's (laughs) it's this weird artistic expression type it's so good that's perfect it's it's uncomfortable because it it does things like it has drug use and and abuse and suicide it's it's like a huge like (laughs) real real adult piece about the peanuts and i feel like you would love that jake because it's so weird i absolutely would incredible so i so 
in a similar vein, I'm really, uh, don't come at me. This is weird. Um, so <laughs> we're, we're getting weird this episode without, without Ralph. We're, we're weird. James Gunn years ago made a series called penis peanuts without the T. And it was a porn, a, a suitable for work porn parody of peanuts. <laughs> Okay. I think I like that. I think that's, it's still on YouTube. That's creative. But I remember my friend and I watching that and being like, "Oh, we're so subversive." Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it because they're kids. Well, yeah, I think they. I think they age them up. Obviously. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, then they, we're they good. Then played we're by good. adults. Gotcha. Well, gotcha. Okay. Well we're good. We're good then. Performing adults. Sure. Okay. We're good then. We're good. <laughs> anyway, so that was the one thing I was sad to miss at Comic Con. You know what? That's actually a great transitioning point oh. because next up, we have a special, a special interview. I feel, I feel, I was trying oh. to go from, I was trying to bridge the gap between weird sex thing into another weird sex thing, which is about bear sex. <laughs> you know, because yeah. I thought you do, I thought you doing the sad about missing out is because we know that Ralph is sad about missing out about this one. Ah, that's true. Either so way, I think both, both. Yeah. both work. Yeah. Both work. So yeah, uh, believe it or not, we actually have Sven Vink from uh, Larian for Baldur's Gate 3. He's the director of Baldur's Gate 3, one of the founders of Larian, the legendary developers at this point from like, I, I feel like I'm still playing Divinity Original Sin 2. So Baldur's Gate 3, there's a lot to talk about. So let's just jump right into it. So Sven, thank you for being here. Uh, you're like at the finish line at this point. The game is launching very soon. So how are you and the team feeling about it? Dealing with some last minute crisis. Uh, so slightly busy, uh, but uh, in general, okay. Yeah, because I mean, how, how are you feeling about the upcoming sort of, you know, getting out into the world, but sort of the final definitive review sort of side of things? Because you've had a couple of years of early access you've got an incredibly positive reception on steam already you've already got the community built around the game does releasing it out fully change how you feel about the project yeah we are uh, i mean we're, we're very nervous because we've mm -hmm. been sitting on this for a very long time and um people haven't seen what comes after early access mm -hmm. so they know what's in early access well they know part of what's in early access because we changed a bunch of things uh, but there's a lot of stuff that comes after, and so they're about to discover it. And uh, yeah, we'll see what they think. We don't know. Uh, so it's mm. it's very exciting, but very scary also at the same time. Is it not going to be kind when, of weird because like review embargo is, well, the game comes out on the third, and then reviewers aren't going to get the game until pretty late. So you're not going to get that definitive, you're not going to wake up and refresh that Metacritic page. No, we had the same thing with DOS 2 also. DOS 2 was also late. I mean, like, uh, these are very big games and we are the company that tends to do last minute changes, as we did. Uh, so uh, that's the price that we pay for it. Uh, but it, uh, yeah, it's okay. To be fair, what it leads to is refreshing continuously over a couple of weeks, which is horrible, actually. <laughs> but it's the price to pay for it. Uh, I remember with DOS 2 it was the same thing. We were just refreshing continuously, continuously, continuously. It was horrible. <laughs> Was early access like a, a good pat on the back or was it more of a, all right, we have a lot more to do? Because I remember when early access first dropped, the response was very positive. Well, I mean, it was positive, but it was also critical. Uh, people were appreciative uh, of what was there, but they also said, well, we don't like this, we don't like this, we don't like this. And that was a very, very, very long list. 
And so uh, it's the benefit of early access is that you get some guidance from your community. We like this. We don't like this. This is not engaging. This is engaging. Uh, but then you have to act upon it. So you actually do get a lot of work out of it also. So it took us quite some time uh, to figure things out. We also, uh, at some points, actually went in the wrong direction. We were doing things that we saw that the community didn't really like that much. Uh, so um, we had to do some course correction, but at the same time, I prefer doing that during an early access period than having to do that after a release. So in that sense, I feel fairly confident that the direction at least is, is the right one. How do you know which voices in the community to sort of listen to and how, you know, I mean, looking at anything on Twitter or x.com, you know, it could be a vocal minority or it could be the general sentiment of the community. Yeah, it's a combination of things, right? So, I mean, obviously, you, you get a lot of voices. Uh, you have people that are very vocal indeed. Uh, but you also have analytics that are coming in. Uh, so we have a team that looks at that and says, well, a lot of people are saying this, but this is what we're seeing. So maybe you might rephrase or rethink that change that you're planning on doing. And then there's just our own feeling also. I mean, at the end of the day, um, we're very alike our community, I think, in the type of games that we like to play. So if we like it in general, we see that people like it. Obviously, there's differences in tastes and opinions. Uh, but uh, to get a general sense of where to go, I think we're in general quite aligned. Um, there are obviously exceptions. Like we thought we didn't have to put reactions in the game. The community was very vocal that we had to put reactions into the game. They were right, it turns out, in hindsight. We thought it was going to be annoying to be interrupted continuously, but it turned out that we could navigate that quite well. And then it actually led to better gameplay. Uh, so you have those things. But in, in general, I mean, like if you are already aligned with how your player community is thinking, because you like the same type of games, you can manage to, 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 to navigate the entire trajectory. Hmm. Uh, why do you think no one else has taken up the Baldur's Gate mantle in so long, given how massive it is, you know, its impact on RPGs, pop culture? You'd have to ask Wizards, actually. Uh, I know they were approached multiple times uh, uh, by other companies. Uh, we approached them uh, back uh, when we finished DOS 1. They said no then. Uh, but then um, while we were working on DOS 2, they suddenly contacted us again. And they said, like, hey, remember that pitch that you did? We actually really liked that. You still want to do it? And then from there uh, came meetings and uh, a year of negotiations. And then we, we got it to make BG3. That's wild, a year of negotiations for something that they eventually approach you about. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the way of large corporations, right? No. Um, so I was going to ask, I mean, you're talking about early access a little bit, but um, do you think it's a model that other large-scale AAA developers should and maybe will kind of adopt going forward? We've seen, obviously, games like Hades, even Obsidian with Grounded. Um, do you think it's going to become more popular? And do you think Larian are going to have a role in popularizing it? Oh, I don't think Larian is just focusing on making its game. <laughs> so, um, in terms of, I think it's a good model. I mean, like, uh, it doesn't work for everything. You need to have games that are big enough or, or have enough um, uh, content that is going to be fresh on release. Uh, so, and you can do, you can achieve that in many ways. Uh, it depends on your gameplay loop. Uh, but um, I think it's a good model. I mean, like, it gives you many benefits, right? So. Uh, you know if you're doing the right thing because you, you have your community telling, uh, telling it to you. You get an idea of your popularity, so you know mm. how to scale your resources in function of what's going to go into the game. Uh, you get an option of testing things. You can try IDs, see how, uh, how players go with it. 
you get a lot of support from it. You have no idea how energizing it is for the team whenever we see the reaction to something that goes in the patch and how uh, frustrated they are if people don't like something, but it's really something that, that makes the developer tick. So all those things are, are really good. The downside, of course, is that you're doing releases continuously, but in that sense, it's not very different from a, a game as a service. Is there a concern, of, like, I don't know if it's on, on your side or if it's on the PR side of, of keeping momentum going, building excitement, or do you feel like you can really just stand behind your early access work and your community going forward? This is the third time we do it. Every single time uh, we, we got to the end of the cycle and we always had the sense that uh, definitely media says like, it's not new anymore, uh, but the communities were waiting and they are they're ultimately who we do it for, right? So they were there and then people in general say, oh my God, there's a lot of interest in this. Uh, and then that, that picks up. So you see that every single time, at least in the three times that we've done it. Uh, so it's... Um, it's normal because you it's a long time, right? We've been three years in the early access, a little bit longer than we want it to be, like quite a bit longer than we want it to be. Uh, so we talk a lot about our game. It's very focused on mechanics, like mechanic after mechanic that it gets improved and established. Uh, but at the end of the day, for the people that didn't pay attention, when you look at what's there, you say, oh my God, there's so much that was done in all that time. And then it's all fresh and new. You see that now as the game is approaching release, a lot of people are picking it up. And so you're seeing them, wow, this is actually really a lot of fun. We had no idea compared to what it was three years ago. And that's the result of the early access work uh, that's been going on. Uh, so uh, in that sense, I think um, even if it may be hard to gain, to maintain the momentum, uh, I still think it's not a bad thing. Right? Mm. I mean, there's, a, there's an old uh, saying in, in, in any entertainment industry which says content is king. It will always be the case and the rest will follow where the content is. So you just have to make sure the content is really good. Mm. Um, so I had a question about, I'm not sure if you saw this, but there was some discourse online a couple of weeks ago after you had your panel from hell. And, you know, there were a lot of game developers kind of saying, oh my God, you know, the, it's going to set the new benchmark for RPGs, or at least a lot of fans were also saying that. And it be, kind of became a little moment online where people were discussing, you know, the resources that Larian has, like the the team behind it and how... I could potentially, you know, Baldur's Gate 3 is not necessarily going to set the standard for RPGs because not everyone has the resources or the team. So I was just wondering what your take was on it. Like, where do you see Larian's position uh, with the release of Baldur's Gate 3 and kind of the state of RPGs going forward? To be fair, again, Larian's just focused on making its game. Uh, so, um, I mean... When I started out, uh, Ubisoft launched Assassin's Creed and everybody was saying everything's going to be like Assassin's Creed. You're all doomed. Nobody's going to be able to make this game anymore. And here we are many years later. Plenty of games exist. Assassin's Creed still exists. I mean, there were games like Assassin's Creed, but there's plenty of other things. So if you want to make something exactly like us, yeah, you're going to need a little large team, but you don't have to make something exactly like us. There's so much stuff that you can do. Uh, when it comes to standards, you know, standards change continuously. Uh, so it's not as if there's something that is a standard. So I, I, I don't think that is a uh, things people should be worried about, to be honest. Um, when it comes to resources, I mean, well, if you talk about the likes of, of Microsoft or well, Activision Blizzard is Microsoft now, and you, they are large companies. They have resources. They can do whatever they want. From a player point of view, I would come to expect that the platform holders at least set the standards because that's how it usually has been in the, in the past. They always say, hey, Here's the guiding light. People, this is possible now. So 
go and do stuff with it. I mean, that's always been how I looked at platforms. Uh, so coming from there, that would be a bit of a strange statement. But in general, uh, games, uh, like games like ours are, are, are something very specific. Uh, that's what we wanted to make. It's what we specialize in. So it's logical that we have a certain pedigree in creating it uh, because we've been building this for 20 years already. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but there's so much stuff out there uh, that is different. And so I don't, I don't, I, I saw the discourse obviously, but I, I, I didn't really understand why it was a discourse. Uh, right. I don't think there's such a thing as a game that says, oh, this is a standard and everybody has to know, hold itself to it because tomorrow somebody else will come up with something new and cool and that'll be now the new standard. And these standards change so rapidly that there's no standard. Yeah. I was going to say, are you saying that Twitter discourse is nonsense that is used? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's like, a, it's a, you know, I mean, we we really tried to make our game. So we were surprised yeah. when we saw that there was so much commotion about it. And it's just a weird thing. It's just, I don't understand. People haven't even seen the game, right? It's not mm-hmm. out yet. So it's hard to say that it's a standard. It offers a lot, that's for sure. And it offers what we would like to see in RPGs. So I hope a lot of people will make games like ours because that's what I want to play and the rest of my team wants to play. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff that we want to play. So, I mean, like I, uh, I mean, everybody played Disco Elysium, right? So mm-hmm. that that was made by a much smaller team than our team, and it was a great and fantastic game. So that's a standard now. Uh, so, but um, I'm a big fan of Into the Breach. That's a standard for me. Uh, so you know, you got a whole bunch of standards out there. I mean, like my my youngest son, uh, the only game that exists in the universe is Minecraft. That's a standard for him. It's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> so. Do you think it falls into the trap of, um, you know, kind of we see games following trends, like chasing trends, you know, kind of live action trend, uh, live service model kind of trends. Do you think it's just kind of the industry's reaction is to kind of, uh, you know, see the success of another and try and chase it for themselves? These are big words because the industry would mean that it's a homogenous pool mm. of developers, which it's not, mm. right? Thank God. It's a very mm. diverse pool of developers. So um, you will have always people that will follow others. Uh, we inspire ourselves in other games also. It makes sense that you will not reinvent the wheel if somebody just made a breakthrough. That's how evolution works, right? Um, so um, for, again, it's like you, you make the, as a developer, you set out to make a game. You have a certain vision of what you want to see and you make it and you just make it. It takes you many years to make these things. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have no idea what's going to be popular X amount of years in the future. You hope that yours is going to be popular, obviously, because you're trying to make a living. But the, uh, the idea that um, there's, there's such a thing, oh, now they've set a trend, so everybody has to follow in there. That, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, like, uh, I, I would always try to make my game for what I'm trying to make and that I think mm-hmm. is going to be entertaining. And, uh, and if I think it's entertaining, I think there will be an audience that will think it's entertaining because I'm not that misaligned, I think, from, from a lot of players. So, and I think that goes for every single game. So you, um, it, it, I find it a weird discourse, just the entire standard thing. I mean, like, mm-hmm. especially now in a period, because I'm, I'm, I'm already been in this industry for quite some time. Back in the days there, you had a whole bunch of different games. Then suddenly it came a few types of games. And now with the advent of digital distribution, we have so many, so many genres of games. So where's the standard in all these games? I mean, like, mm. you can, uh, I understand that you have to, if you have to make a business case for it, you're going to say, oh, it's like this or it's like that. It's always been the case. But I, I, I don't buy into this idea. Oh, this is now the standard. This is how it should be. That doesn't exist. Not in video games. 
or in movies, to be honest. You guys have been uh, doing your own thing for a while now. Uh, With Divinity, like a lot of people assume now you guys are experts at these styles of games. But was there one specific very big challenge jumping from Divinity to something like Baldur's Gate? Uh, There was um, there were two very big challenges for us. Um, One obviously is expectations are sky high. Uh, so that's the big one. Um, the other one is we wanted to do everything that we did before, but we wanted to make it cinematic. So system-driven cinematics, if you want. It's the thing that, that fueled our growth or required us to grow uh, tremendously more than we expected. And to be able to do it, it's super challenging because we have to, we have to cinematics of, uh, you know, um, a gnome kissing a dragonborn or a dragonborn kissing a gnome. How do you handle that? These are things that are very different. Uh, so you have to be able to deal with that. Uh, and that's complicated when you start thinking about it, where do you put the camera? Because I mean, like if you put it at a certain height, now suddenly the Dragonborn is much higher. How do you deal with the hands touching each other? I mean, like, you know, not, so you get all these things that you have to deal with, uh, and it turned out to be really complicated, right? So when you're going to play BG3, hopefully you're going to discover that it's as if somebody's writing a screenplay for you and, uh, like tailors to your choices decisions, the identity that you picked at the beginning of the game and how you developed during the game. And you you will get a really good role-playing experience that is very cinematic that comes out of that. And that turned out to be super complicated. So that was a big challenge. Uh, I can tell you that. Mm. Especially I mean, because we... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, especially because we wanted to marry it with multiplayer. So you had to be able to do that in multiplayer also. So oh, it's multiplayer oh. cinematics. And we wanted to convert the player handbook into something that was approachable in the video game uh, medium. So we had to do all these things together, but still give you that cinematic experience. I think we achieved it. I was looking the other day at two endings. They were about quite long, actually, with a lot of reactivity to everything that happened in the game. It was like over 15 minutes of epilogue with things that were continually connected to one another. And they were all unique to what that player had done during their playthrough. And then I looked at another one and you saw that it was very different. And then I had the three minute one. And that was because that person had been very, very evil and done very, very, very many bad things. So there was not a lot of friends left to talk to. <laughs> so there was, uh, but there were, and there were different endings. And you, you felt like, okay, these are three different Netflix series. These are my Netflix series. That's what was created here for me. So I'm super proud of the team for achieving this. This is what we set out to do it. And they did it better than we actually hoped for. Uh, originally, so I hope that's what the world is going to find out. But it has been very challenging to to, to create as, as, a, as a game format. You mentioned, uh, you know, obviously the game being reactive to the choices you've made. One of the things I was reading up about was the uh, the newspaper, which kind of chronicles your adventures. And uh, you were saying that you can even go in and sort of change the change what's being printed if you want to. Uh, what other kinds of small details like that can you expect to find if you or maybe are there something that's maybe a little bit less is off the beaten path a bit that will players will need to really dig into to discover there's a lot uh, mm. every single house the mission was to make it interesting uh, so uh, you can enter in all of houses in the in the playable areas of the city uh, so we wanted to have a little story every single time. Cities can be very boring if they're, they're grinding. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that wherever you go, you're going to have an adventure. So the challenge for the designers was to make sure every single area actually has to have its own adventure. Uh, so the newspaper, the, the printing press, uh, that has an entire adventure built into it, which means that ends up with you 
being able to manipulate the press to your own advantage uh, because the, the the media is against you and so you have to you have to uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, story angles to it and so it's one of those things if you don't go in there you'll never see it you'll just mm. see newspaper boys that are selling newspapers on the streets and they'll they'll be telling you well here's the uh, the the Balder the Balder's uh, Balder's mouth sorry uh, the Balderian Gazette and uh, you will uh, read in there things that have happened to you things that are happening around you things that may have happened or things that you 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 did and then you can modify it and it's just fun when you discover it and like this you have plenty of adventures there's really a lot uh, you mm. will. Uh, you'll never see all of them in one playthrough. You'll never see all of them in several playthroughs. You really need to do a lot of playthroughs if you want to see everything. Mm. That was already the case in the early access content, actually. How is the Xbox development coming along? I feel like a lot of people are looking for an update. Uh, last time we left off, I think it was issues with the Series S and that Xbox was getting involved to help out. So where are things at? So we, we actually technically haven't announced the Xbox officially. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's like the weird thing where we are in that. Everybody assumed that we're making it. And I mean, like we, we are working on it. Um, so we're making progress. I mean, the game has been heavily optimized since what was in early access. So every single one of those optimizations helps uh, in, in making it go better. Um, we have split screen and multiplayer. The combination of it is what makes it complicated. Uh, because um, we we don't run on a live service, we run the servers on your machine itself. So uh, so that means that you could have four consoles that have to work together and simulate where the four players are in different locations of of the city, for instance, which is very complicated. Somebody can jump in and jump in and split screen. All that needs to be simulated. It takes a lot of memory. Uh, so it requires a lot of optimization to, to, to get it to work. The problem with optimizations is that you, you know where you start, you don't know where you went. Uh, you just know you get better after every single uh, obstacle that you've, you, you've, you've defeated. There's a new one and at some point you're there. And so it just takes us time to get there. Right now, all the focus is obviously on the PC and the PS5 are coming out. Uh, so, but we're working, there's a team working on it. And so they're making progress. It is already a lot better than what it was. That's yeah. what I can say. Our hope is that we get it done this year. Uh, mm -hmm. So, but I don't want to commit to it until because, as I said, optimization comes with this annoying thing that you you know where you start, but you don't know where you end. Mm. I was reading some of the news stories about uh, the Series S uh, and Xbox development, and you said that you know you might have to make some compromises. And uh, this is going to sound like a loaded question. I'm just genuinely interested in your opinion on it. Uh, with you know current gen consoles being what they are, in my head they are Series X and PlayStation Five. Um, do you think Microsoft having this kind of in-between model and then demanding th that features be equal across both um, is kind of holding back development of games, and we're not truly going to get that next gen until Series S is left behind? But they're not going to leave Series S behind. But they're not going to. Yeah, they're yeah. not going to do that. So that basically means that you know what you're going to be able to do on the Xbox Series. I mean, mm. it, it defines uh, the machine, which is fine. I think it's a, it's an it's an okay proposition to say, hey, we have two devices. We want compatibility across the devices. I mean, uh, so it's a platform thing. What you have to do then, as a developer or publisher, is decide: Will I be on the platform? Yes or no? Because that's the, the, I mean, it's like us deciding to come to a switch or not, right? Do we want to be on the Switch? Okay, we got to make it work on the Switch and make it work well. Otherwise, we can't be on the Switch. And like this, it goes for every single platform. So I don't think that's it's, that's a choice they made. 
and they have valid reasons for it. I think the majority of people own a Series S, so it makes sense that if you go to Xbox, that it has to work on the Series S. Otherwise, you're not going to be serving the majority of people, so it'd be kind of silly to drop that. But at the same time, I understand. Uh, I, I, at the same time, it makes it challenging to develop it for, for, the, for that platform. And there's other platforms. Um, like when we did DOS 2, we, we did DOS 2 on PC. A year later, we did it on PS4. And then a year later, we did it on Switch. They've been working on that Switch version for a long time, right? Yeah. So, but it just took a lot of effort to get it there. But you have to do it. And so, yeah. For us, it was liberating that we, 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 we forced ourselves into the situation that we're going to do a sim ship. Oh, we got to do a sim ship. We've never done a sim ship. Let's do a sim ship, right? <laughs> and the sim ship almost became a sink ship. Uh, in the sense that, <laughs> because it was killing us. Uh, so the moment we let it loose, we got more breathing room so we can actually focus on the platforms as we should. And maybe that's just a model for us, right? Other developers do it differently. Uh, but now we can focus on PC, we can focus on PS5, we can focus on other platforms after that. And that's, for us, it's going to be better because we, if you look at all the releases we did in the past, we always try to make the most of whatever platform is there. Like mm -hmm. if you look at the Switch, um, what was done by the team on those two was amazing. It was one of the first games that had Steam Cloud saves. Uh, it runs really well on a Switch. It was really, I, I was very proud of them, but it just takes time to make these things. Should you then let that version define when the other versions are available? That's a question that you have to make for yourself commercially. We chose not to do that. And so that's just it. But that doesn't say anything about the platform. I think the platform is perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. It's just like, if you want to... Imagine that somebody comes out with like the equivalent of a PS7 now, right? Mm -hmm. And then you will have to make a choice. Will I release it on PS7? It means I can't release it on the others. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's essentially what uh, was going on. It's like on P and as a PC developer, which is what we were originally were used to that, you have always had different platforms and specs that, that scale. Like you have to say, these are your min specs. You're going to work on that. So anyway, I'm, uh, I'm deviating. Uh, but to answer your question, um, we're going to get there. It's just going to take some time. Uh, do I think uh, that it uh, it holds it back? It just defines certain parameters within which you have to develop, and there's ways of doing that. It just takes development effort, uh, mm. and that effort, um, despite us having grown, we uh, we don't have infinite resources. So that means that we can't do everything at the same time. Mm. So switching gears a little bit, our other host, Ralph, aka Skill Up. <laughs> is not here, but he had some questions that uh, he wanted us to ask, specifically involving bear sex. Uh, it so was all caps. It was all caps, ask about the bear caps. sex. Yeah, we were like, relax. <laughs> <laughs> but the, So we've read that uh, you guys are working with an intimacy cord, uh, coordinator for scenes, which is kind of becoming like a standard. I know like when with filmmaking and stuff, so that's very cool. But how did that work with the bear scene? <laughs> so uh, there was there was no actual bear i mean so <laughs> like to, no bears were harmed <laughs> no bears were harmed it also i mean like um have you seen the full scene i've only seen what was in the clip like the, from the panel so oh, yeah, yeah so you saw yeah, the squirrel so. there also right oh yeah the, yeah <laughs> that was a fully mocap squirrel <laughs> <laughs> so uh so there was no need for an intimacy coordinator on that particular scene because the squirrel covered everything up and so there was no intimacy necessary um but to 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 extrapolate on the, on the bear scene uh it was a good scene to pick uh to show the variety of romance that you can have because what we showed before was just a couple going on a date 
uh, <laughs> and having a, a romantic conversation. And then we shifted to the bear uh, because there we were dealing with a druid that lived for hundreds of years. His interests are different. He lived with animals. Uh, so, and it showed cinematics in action. It showed choice in action. We, let the, we didn't know what the audience was going to pick. We had an inkling, but we weren't sure. And we could have gone in a completely different direction. People would have been surprised where that would have gone. Uh, it showed uh, the, the breadth of the game. And it showed that it was done with taste. That's what I thought. Uh, so, and funny. Uh, so because it was a funny moment, so uh, it, I thought it was a good pick uh, to say, okay, well, here's some of the things you can expect to see in the game, because it's not the only thing, there's much more. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's a lot of surprises like that that will make you smile, that will engage you. So uh, I think people are in for uh, quite right. Is it difficult picking? I mean, obviously with a game with such scope and scale, when you are picking what to show, how difficult is it to pick? Okay, this is something that I know the audience will really like. It'll be really enticing, but also I wish I could talk about this. I mean, how's that process been across the three years? Hard, uh, because we want to talk about everything. Obviously, we're creators, mm -hmm. so we want to show everything that we've been making. We're very proud, mm -hmm. very, very, very proud. I think the, 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 the best romance scenes have definitely not been shown uh, because they, mm -hmm. we want players to discover them for themselves and then hopefully they'll talk about them. Uh, and they're very surprising. They're very, very, very cool. Uh, so it's hard not to talk about it, uh, mm -hmm. especially when you spend, like in, in our case, it's been six years that we've been working on this game, right? So it's very hard to hold it all for yourself. So it's why uh, we're, we're um, at the start of, of the interview, you asked me, how do we feel so excited and nervous, uh, excited mm -hmm. for people to see it, nervous, what will they think? You don't know. Uh, we think it's cool. Uh, so mm -hmm. and think people uh, will think it's cool too, mm -hmm. uh, but it is, uh, yeah. And so what do you pick? Well, you pick the stuff that you think will engage without showing too much. Uh, so that people are interested, but you don't want to reveal everything. So that's how mm -hmm. you, you, you Yeah. So, I mean, bare sex there, you mentioned, you know, kind of the other romance scenes. Uh, Ralph's other question was, who else and what else can we have sex with? Uh, for Ralph to discover. I mean, like, it ah. depends on where he takes it. All right. So, <laughs> I mean, like, it's, uh, again, it's always about player choice. This game is not going to make you do anything against your wishes, mm -hmm. uh, but it maybe gives you options that you didn't expect you were going to have. Uh, so, because it is first and foremost, it's trying to be a role game, a role playing game that uh, respects what you want and tries to give you a really good adventure in function of the things that you decide to do, just like a dungeon master would do at a tabletop. Because that's essentially what, what this game is offering. It's a mature mm -hmm. game, so that allows it to do some crazy stuff also. And so there you go. So that's what you get. How do you keep those relationships meaningful? Is it all in the writing or, or is there, there something else to it? It's the mix of things. Eh? It's, the, it's the entirety of the development team that makes it interesting. It goes from the systems design to the cinematics, to the writing, the sound, the visuals, everything that goes with it. Uh, so when you'll play it, you'll find that the characters change and function uh, there's a, there's, a, there's a character that is going to change their hairdo in function of how they're feeling about what's happening inside of the game. And it's very meaningful at that moment when it happens. Um, and you, you see that they're struggling heavily as a result of it. It's a very real thing. But it's the sum of the visuals, of the animation, the way that she starts um, talking. Everything changes about the character in function of a very big event that happens uh, in, in their life inside of the game. And it was player-driven. Uh, it's the player that guided them there because they did something or they didn't do something. And so that is uh, much more than just the writing. It's 
the sum of all of the, the, the creation and the craftsmanship of the team that's been working on it. Um, about a year or so ago, uh, you came and did a video with uh, us at GameSpot and you were talking about, uh, like we, we called the video, the box that broke Baldur's Gate 3. And I'm so interested, you know, talking to you about just how much there is in this game, how many different... I, I did think it was funny where, was it Michael posted the, oh no, they found the 17,000 number with your uh, variations on the ending, you know, that kind of thing. With so much in there, I should I should say that this uh, this video is all about, you know, the, the game was working fine and then you had this one very specific item that had to be found. It was very crucial to the story and just all of the different pathways to making sure that players found it. What are the stories, like what were the other challenges about making sure that the players can actually follow sort of the the golden path to finish the game like how do you how do you even keep track of it all that's been the big challenge of this game uh, <laughs> so that's the bit that we um, you see my hair is gray uh, that's where, that's where it comes <laughs> that's where it comes from uh, so this has been really complicated uh, we we really wanted you to feel that your choices mattered like much more than anything we've done before and make that visual. Uh, so, and we wanted you to also have the your 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 agency coming through the systems that Dungeons and Dragons offers you, which is a game in which you can do, or a game system in which you can do so many things. And so, every single time uh, when something was done, it's like, what if I do this? What if I do that? What if I do this? And the general principle was like, let's not limit it. Let's figure out ways in which we can make it work. And so um, I showed that, uh, that we did a press event and, um, not so long ago. And there was one, I, I picked a very small situation because I was so proud of the, the, the scripting and the writing team that were working on it. And well, actually all of the teams that were working on it because it showed the, the, the depth of the game, but also how it came about. It was a genie who was cheating uh, at a Wheel of Fortune. And whatever you do, you're going to lose. And this is going to be spoilery. So close your ears if you want to uh, not hear the spoiler. Um, if you succeed in a perception check, which is a thing that you can do in D&D, you see that there's a little glint in his beard. Um, if you try to pickpocket him, yeah, you will discover that he has a ring of magic hands. Uh, and it's the magic hands that he's using, an invisible magic hand with which he is actually manipulating the Wheel of Fortune so that it always loses. So since it's D&D, you can steal the ring from him. So when you then talk to him again and he manipulates the wheel, says, well, shit. The wheel keeps on turning and you win the jackpot. And he says, you cheating bastard. And he said, well, you started it. And then as you say, uh, he says, well, do you know what happens when you are cheating against a genie? Yeah? And he turns you into a cheese wheel. And you're now looking, you look like a cheese wheel. You run around and you're playing Pac-Man with the control is great, right? So you, <laughs> and so the team just made a piece of Pac-Man in there. That's not the end of this story. It's a super small thing. You're only going to discover it if you succeed in that perception check. Right? Once you succeed in perception check, obviously you, will, you might not think of trying to pickpocket the guy. This attitude, this philosophy has been applied to every single thing through the entire game. So they've just gone bananas on it. And a lot of these people that worked on it are dungeon masters. So they've been trying to create what they would do at their tabletop and then make it possible for you in the game. Obviously they had limits, but you will see stuff like this a lot as you travel through, through the world of BG, uh, BG3. Making it all work within the main narrative has been quite complicated, right? So uh, I think we reinvented a couple of uh, things and or discovered a couple of things in how to make that work. I think it works really well. You'll discover it for yourselves once again. So 
but it's I think it's if there's anything I would be like people to remember BG3 for, then it will be that the fact that you get all this freedom and it's told to you in a really cool cinematic manner at the same time, and you can play with your buddies as you're doing that, and that's just. Um, I have, I have another example. I don't know how much time I have. I can keep on talking about this game. Oh, yeah. Right? Go for it. Yeah. So we showed at the same press event. We then and we did actually on the, on the Battle from Hell also. We showed a scene from two different perspectives. We showed it from the side, from the side of the bad guys and from the good guys. Right? It was literally the same scene, but you show a completely different experience of that scene. So depending on what your playthrough was going to be, you were going to see uh, you on a caravan through a cursed land uh, headed by a drider that is holding like a, this mysterious lantern. On the other side, you saw harpers that were ambushing the drider that was through walking through the cursed lands. So you could have been with the harpers, you could have been with the drider. You saw the dialogue rotate. If you would have made different choices, you would have seen that scene change again. So that's that's the beauty of all these things that have been put into it. Because as the team was making it, well, if I'm if I'm there, this is what the camera sees. If I'm there, this is what the camera sees. And so all of that has been implemented. And when you see it side by side, it's quite a thing you realize exactly how much effort has been put into it and how much love and passion that the, that the team working on it has done. And you get this beautiful, unexpected and uh, uh, unpredictable storyline that just says, you did that, this is what happens as a result of that. And just go and, and do it. And what, in the beginning, because in the beginning, you see people try to do everything. You know, you're so used to max, I mean, max everything mm-hmm. and you just give up because you can't, it's too much. Right, and then you start accepting it, and then you just go with right, and then you're having a lot of fun. That that leads to the the big thing I'd like to leave off on is with the game being so huge. What advice would you give to players jumping in if you were just sitting next to somebody on the couch who's jumping into it for the first time? I would just trust the dice, trust the dungeon master that he's going to make sure uh, that you're going to have a good time. Like you're going to get a uh, regardless of what's going to happen you're going to find yourself on, on, on something that's going to be a lot of fun. Because uh, um, there's a lot of dice rolling in the game. Uh, dice rolling decides whether or not you're going to con- convince somebody or if you're going to see something like that, that perception check that I just uh, gave you as an example. Failure is sometimes more fun than success because there's, the storylines will pick up on the failure also. The team has been making sure that failure is as interesting as success is. So it's something to, to embrace. And so once you start doing that, if you trust the game, the game has you. It has you. We've spent a lot of time making sure that it has you covered in all cases. And people have a hard time believing it until they experience it. Then they say, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And then, <laughs> then you're off. And then the second piece of advice we do is like, if you're curious about something, start exploring because it rewards exploration tremendously. And there's a, that was already an early access where you could discover an entire new world by just following up on very, very small things or never see it and then hear from other players and then go, what the hell? Is this in the game? That's fine too. It's okay. I mean, you don't have to see everything. Uh, it was not made for you to see everything. Just a fraction of it. How many times have you? do you think you've played through it now at this point? Me? Mm. <laughs> a lot. Uh, so, um, but I cheat. Uh, so, oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I cheat. Uh, so, I, but I've played a lot. I've... Um, I've seen every single line of script, um, so uh, multiple times. Um, I've seen every single situation from pro- every single possible angle, so I've I've seen a lot of it. Uh, so, but I can. That's why I can tell you all these things. I know it's big. I know it's in there. Uh, so it's genuine. Well, we're we're really excited to jump in. Uh, Lucy, do you have any other questions? Uh, or? No, that's it. 
All right. Well, we'll let you get back to work. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Congrats to you and the team. Good luck on the launch, and we'll talk soon. Yeah. Thank you very much for doing this. Take care. Thank you. Have a good you. rest of, of the day. Bye-bye. You too. So next up, we're kind of going to do, instead of a whole big breakout segment, it's, since it's a weird news week these past two weeks, we just want to kind of dive into a couple little things. We had some things to say. The first is regarding Star Wars Outlaws and uh, open world fatigue. So uh, I think it was a, a week or so ago, I remember talking about this on the Friday show on Game Ranks. Uh, the developers went on record saying like, yeah, there's going to be these planets and they're going to feel really big and they're going to feel like it's going to be a long time to traverse from one end of it to the other. Like even when you're on a speeder, it's gonna be really big. Mm. And now more recently, I, I guess like they wanted to kind of follow up with that because uh, according to the developers, Star Wars uh, Outlaws won't be an unfinishable 300 hour RPG. They've, they've managed to clarify that because they originally compared it to Assassin's Creed Odyssey and people were yeah. like, oh my God. No, the be- original the original quote was, oh, what was it? An interview with Edge magazine. It's a crude analogy, but the size of one planet might be equivalent to two of the zones in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It could be two or three zones, but it's not this sort of epic, the whole of England recreated approach. So then, yeah, everyone was like, oh my God, it's too big. I'll never do it. That's what I did. Because I also spoke to them um, at Comic-Con and I asked about this too. Um, and they were like, you know, making sure that their focus is on making content me- it's meaningful, which is great for me because I respect a lot of the things that Ubisoft has contributed to open world game design. But at the end of the day, I feel that at the same time, I just don't, I don't ever approach a Ubisoft game and think I will finish that, you know, I will yes. enjoy that. Isn't, for- isn't that weird to yeah. like think about like, oh, what a delightful game. I will play exactly 20% of it yep. and then I'm done. Like and I, that- mean, I really enjoyed Assassin's Creed Valhalla and I was like British bias because there were you were going to places and I was like, oh, I don't know where that is. Um, and I actually, you know, I'm very glad that Mirage is going back to Assassin's Creed Basics, but at the same time, I liked, I thought I thought the, they got the open world formula kind of right, or at least like the, the gameplay formulas right with uh, Valhalla. And then I was just like, oh, well, no, I'm 36 hours in. This is me, guys. Because I was talking to Jordan Ramey, who reviewed it for us at GameSpot. And he's just like, oh, yeah, then you go uh, up here and then you do that. And then there's, uh, oh, the whole of this stuff. And then there's the expansions. And I was like, no, no, I don't want that anymore. And it's weird. And I wonder how you guys feel about this, where it's like, what what in your mind keeps you going with a huge game? You know what is the or what is the cutoff point that makes you walk away? Because it it feels weird because it's like if it's checklisty stuff, which I think Ubisoft kind of defaults to a lot of the time. It's like, hey, go to this zone, do this amount of things, clear this watchtower, blah blah blah. That ten years ago in Far Cry Three absolutely did it for me i was like yeah this is manageable is it because there's just way too much of it in general or is and and it doesn't seem attainable or is it something else where we're just kind of we're looking for more meaningful experiences a la you know like a witcher side quest yeah for me it just has to have some meaningful aspect to it at Mm -hmm. all like it's it's definitely meaningful progression number one like i don't mind grinding if it's 
me getting something really cool and awesome that then helps me in my journey or on the flip side, meaningful in the sense that like, all right, you're doing all these side quests, but you're getting something out of it. Like uh ghost of Tsushima is a really good example where mm. every little side quest, I just liked that it was like a little relaxing tale and you helped a villager and then they like told you a poem or something like that still managed to feel fulfilling just because it was like thoughtfully crafted. Uh, the, amount, the amount of bamboo I cut. I, yeah, unparalleled. I did do a lot of that, but it was because like, I wanted to get that stuff. I wanted to do it all because like I think that world was like nicely sized still, mm -hmm. all things considered. Or it's just the third thing for me is if I love the gameplay so much and I can't get enough of it and I will continue to do that thing forever. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Assassin's Creed Odyssey's combat was good, but... Uh, if if it played more like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater or Batman Arkham, like then I would do every single side quest and do every single thing on the map just because I always want to continue to do that thing, you know? Does oh, right. I was like, oh, I would love it if an Assassin's Creed game played like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Yeah, I mean, yeah that's like my default. <laughs> Yo, Stu, as our editor, don't, don't tell Raph this. As our editor, every time that Jake brings up Tony Hawk Pro Skater... And any point, I just I need you. It's not a visual thing. Just play the Tony Hawk Pro Skater special. Bow, like you just Bow. did a special move sound. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Every time he brings it up, just play it for me. If you remember, if not, no big deal. And the comments will roast you for forgetting. But either way, that was that was uh, who who uses that? Nicky Jakey uses that in his videos. Oh, yeah. And as soon as the first time I heard him use that, I was like, shit. I was like, damn that it, that's been your so thing. good. Yeah, I'm like, that's so good. Yeah, I mean, uh, okay, so I complete games, so I have to see everything, right? That's just what I have to do. Uh, I tend to do a lot of the Ubisoft Ubisoft games that do that stuff. I have, in the last probably eight years, stopped playing Assassin's Creed games. Um, I get paid to promote them a lot because my audience likes Assassin's Creed, but I just kind of been lackadaisical to completing them because they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, I I don't know. I, 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 I Maybe I'm in the minority, but I really liked the Desmond story of Assassin's Creed. Like the yeah, modern dude. day. You are not. I, liked how, it, I'm with I you. liked how it all connected. And then at the end of three, it kind of felt like, and none of it mattered. And then yeah. four was like, hey, so you're a computer nerd that works at this company called Abstergo. And like... There's VR and connecting and stuff. And like, I was like, oh, okay, so they're going to try it again. No, they just kind of, it just keeps getting sidebarred. Yeah. And yeah. I liked, I liked that what they did with four. I liked that a lot. Cause it felt like a cool new take on it without just putting us in the shoes of another Desmond. Right. Right. And I, I feel like, be, and I think the, the, the pull of it all was like, we have to just keep pumping out Assassin's Creed. It's mm. printing money. Yeah. Keep going, keep going, keep going. But I feel like when it comes to this whole situation about like, Applying that to other games, right? Far Cry, uh, Far Cry Three was perfect. Absolutely, uh, yeah. I enjoyed Far Cry Four parts of it. Far Cry Five, I really enjoyed what it was supposed to be. But like, you start to kind of see the paint on the walls, and you're kind of like, "Hey, I think I'm going to be doing a lot of the same thing over uh, and over and over again." It's why, like, when we went to see the behind closed doors thing for Avatar, Jake, that's what I was thinking. I was like, "Oh." I mean, first of all, you see the animation of ripping the 
this the alarm box thing, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, it's it's the same one." Yeah, from well, Far Cry I mean, yeah, it looks very similar. Where it's like similar. Similar. Yeah. Yeah, the circuit it's just, breaker, shut it down, but it's yeah, like blue it, arms. Yeah, like <laughs> blue carbon steel or whatever it is. I and I was like, "Yeah," and it has the same loop, or at least the way they were describing it as the same loop of going to an outpost, liberating it, uh, nature takes it back, kind of thing. So I was like. Is, does that feel meaningful to me at this point in 2023? Remains to be seen with regards to um, Avatar. But yeah, it, I mean, the thing with Star Wars, and I guess why, because it became a talking point, is because people want it to be a meaningful experience. But also, at the same time, you know, we've run the cusp of Starfield. And, uh, you know, the the marketing talking points are about how big it is, the thousand planets. And yet that's a pro for them. And a negative for Ubisoft now. So it is wild to see the yeah. way that the narrative has changed. And it's a great point. It's a great point. It's tricky, too, because it's like Star Wars is always about, I mean, like people will make fun of it. Star Wars is about the stories. But mm. on the flip side, people also want to live in those Star Wars worlds. They want to spend a bunch of time in them. So that's where I feel right. like Outlaws has to kind of do like a balancing act because at the very least with this newer quote, uh, Julian Garrity, one of the, one of the leads, uh, did say like, no, the main thing is still the progression of the main mm -hmm. character's story. And they're still trying to like build a large open world around focusing and funneling that story. So mm. I like hearing that. I still think it's kind of early. Like, you know, this, this all sounds good on paper. Like I, when we sh saw the game, I'm like, okay, Let's, let's see how that goes. I still didn't get a really good grip on it, but yeah. I think at the end of the day, uh, I think the ability to play, I don't know, make the game you want to make team. If that's what you want to make, then make it. Uh, just make it meaningful. Because mm -hmm. if you were like, there's 3,000 collectibles, then that sucks. And that just extends experience for no reason. But if that's your vision... Then that's your vision. What are we gonna do? If yeah. they wanna, yeah, if they wanna make a cool Star Wars story, put their stamp on Star Wars lore, do it. Because there are other open world, like you mentioned Starfield. Like Starfield is like a Skyrim or like anything else where you make a character and you go out and do whatever. And I'm I've I've went on record saying this, like I wanna play Starfield and force it into a Star Wars game. Like I'm gonna play that mm. and be like, I'm gonna try and be a Han Solo and like see what the game does and how it reacts, you know? Yeah. That would be really cool, but God, I mean, given how long they've spent on Starfields, maybe we'll see that in a good few years. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, along with that, we unfortunately have some negative news worth covering. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time of recording this podcast, it was just announced that CD Projekt Red uh, is announcing roughly 10% of the team due to overstaffing. That's a mm -hmm. pretty big chunk of layoffs from a studio publisher that has been perceived as otherwise successful even with the cyberpunk missteps yeah it's i mean it's wild and it's you know obviously the news is coming out now because we've got they they how they're on such a positive uh upturn i think in terms of like there were a few layoffs a couple months ago with the molasses flood and the gwent team but yeah, obviously, in the lead up to Phantom Liberty, you're not going to want news about layoffs. Um, and so it sucks to see. I mean, like, all layoffs suck. Jesus, yeah. I hate the world that we live in. 
I think, you know, the way they've gone about it is kind of outlining it and saying why. So they've got Polaris, which is the new Witcher, Orion, which is the new Cyberpunk, Hadar, which is a new franchise. And then is that separate from Cyberpunk multiplayer? Does that still exist? Been a hot minute since we heard about that one. Um, But yeah, losing 100 people. Or like, yeah, roughly 9% of the entire team. Some will be let go as late as Q1 2024. So imagine, I mean, that's that's the thing. So like, what, are you just supposed to sit with the anxiety that your position might not exist? It's a freaking death sentence. How do you keep people, I mean, this is a broader conversation on how layoffs are conducted anyway, but it's like, how are you supposed to keep people motivated if they know that they're on the chopping block? Like the way that Meta, for example, has been doing them and, um, you know, just saying, oh, we're going to do this many. But we won't tell you when. Yeah, well, it just so feels like I, a weird, unfair game, mm, almost. Like. Yeah, I think the hardest, the hardest. I mean, what was the budget of Cyberpunk? Do we know? Oh, no idea. Billion uh, million. Billion um, million. Yeah, let's go with a billion million. I mean, I remember when they announced that game. What twenty twelve came out ten years later. So I mean, costs will be lower. Because of Poland, like, you know, sure. early, you know, there's Lotti versus the dollar and the pound. But at, at the same time, are you offset because it's been in development for so long? So, I mean, it's I obviously these are this is just basic math. I'm not hammering it to the wall here. So don't I'm not a mathematician or an expert. But uh, I mean, if I'm correct, this the things say that it sold 20 million copies since 2023, September of 2022. Yeah. I imagine that it sold more this year, given that there's more patches, yep. the new DLC is about to come out, the updates. But if we're even doing 70 bucks, which is obviously not the full retail price for everyone, but it's just the average of what it's set at 20 million copies, that's like, what, $1.4 billion? Take off a third for storefronts. Sure. Okay. So, so Xbox, out- PlayStation, Steam. So unless you bought it through GOG, then... You know, that's so, you're already losing your right. amount there. You're right. So let's let's get rid of Yeah. But also yeah, I mean also like Witcher is Witcher 3 is one of the top ten best selling games of all time, right? Didn't they announce that pretty recently? How many It's up there. Of... It did just cross a milestone, I know. I don't yeah. I, yeah. I mean as of as of this year, fifty million units sold. Jeez. That, yeah. no, that that that's the wild hunt. Yeah, wild hunt alone. Not Which, even the other two. Damn. I mean, as well. The thing that the thing that I take away from this new story is that just like you have the next Witcher, the next cyberpunk, and a new franchise. You are culling a hundred people. Those projects must be very far away. And the fact that I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong, but were there layoffs when Cyberpunk debuted? No, I don't think so. I don't think there was any, and and if anything, they've turned it around and they've sold more copies. Yeah, Edge Runners did a lot, like the uh, and the consistent patches. They've left last gen behind, so they're not kind of you know beholden to the tech limitations of PS4 and Xbox One. Um, yeah, yeah, it just kind of sucks, and it also I don't know about you guys, but it like puts the fear of God in everyone because if a company as big as 
CDPR with with all the stuff that we're saying, all the stuff in the world that we're saying, like however many copies your game sold, like no one is safe. And it is such a ridiculous, like, I don't know, capitalism. Scary. Yeah. Anyway, it sucks. It's never, it's never a fun time to see people let go in any industry. And like, there are so many talented people there. I hope they, it sounds like so contrite after like the year (laughs) that every industry seems to be going through it's like yeah. hope they land on their feet it's like hope they do more than that i hope they fucking thrive and find yeah. something great but yeah it's it's uh kind of a weird segue into the next thing which is mm. seemingly a canceled project uh there was apparently going to be a sequel to immortals phoenix rising tackling a different era of like mythology which seemed That'd like it would be, be pretty so cool. cool and the news has kind of come out uh that it seems like that has been canceled and yeah. uh that sucks that uh sucks. it's it, the way i think ubisoft put out an official statement saying that they like reallocated things because mm. of reasons so hopefully it means nobody lost their job but the other angle of this is like you spend a long time working on something uh like years and years working on one creative project and then if that baby doesn't see the light of day that's also got to be pretty hard that's something i can't imagine going through um oh this is this will be up now so i can talk about it uh we had sam barlow in to talk about immortality and he was actually talking about you know working for years on a legacy of kane game (laughs) that ended up getting canceled and how the frustration that kind of comes with that like it was announced and then yeah, it fully got canceled. Did so, he work on Dead Sun or or Black Cloth? Was the code name? I think it was Dead Sun. Cool. Um, wow. but yeah, he kind of weirdly got inspiration for immortality from some of that. Go watch your oh. dialogues; it's all in there. Um, but yeah, it's yeah Ubisoft. This is from I'm reading a thing from Game Rant. Just uh, doesn't even load on my PC, so I'm just gonna go somewhere else. Um. If your website can't load it because of all the stuff on it, that's not great. Um, Skull and Bones has been delayed for a sixth time. Uh, And they cancelled three unannounced video games. This was in January. So, and there's also, you know, where the hell is Beyond Good and Evil 2? What is that game? I know they're working on the Splinter Cell reboot. Um, Remake. There's a, a bunch of Assassin's Creed titles going on. The Prince of Persia remake was kind of uh, shifted to a different studio, and now yeah, that's that was that a was, ways away. Yeah, but I mean that other that other Prince of Persia game, man, that's gonna be sick. January next year. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like they, you know, a game gets announced for a multitude of reasons, getting you know, hiring, getting um, you know, stock stuff. I you know, tinfoil time, but I genuinely believe that's the only reason Beyond Good and Evil 2 ever got any kind of announcement is because they were trying to offset Vivendi by bringing back a uh, a beloved franchise that no one turned up for. Like, Beyond Good and Evil is a beloved game, but I don't know if it has, you know, the star power of any of their other franchises. Mm. Anyway, so they announce right. a game and then it just goes away. Uh, so you have to kind of deal with the negative PR of that. Or, in this case, you don't announce a game, it gets gets cancelled, and then people find out anyway, and they're still bummed. There is no winning. Yeah, I mean, you kind of saw that too, right, with um, freaking Days Gone 2, right? Like, I think 
That was the game that came out to to lukewarm reception. I was the one guy that loved that game. Um, oh God, I thought you said Days Gone Two, and I was like, they made a sequel. No, they they but you Days, know the Days Gone Comma Two is what you actually said. I'm I'm no, not with it today. Uh, well, well, no, no. I, in that there was going to be a sequel to oh. Days Gone. There was going to be a sequel, but it was based off of the sales and reception of the game. Right. And because the sales and reception of the game weren't, uh, even though it was profitable by the end, mm. and they did fix the majority of the stuff that people were experiencing, uh, and there was a fan base there, uh, you know, mm. I think that game had a seven-year production cycle of hell. Yeah. Because um, it was Ben's, like, first original IP. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because they... they yeah, they did. Uh, they they did. They worked on the Uncharted um, yes. Vita game, and I think they some other titles as well. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's a shame, right? Because uh, I, I liked Immortals: Phoenix Rising. Uh, I liked Days Gone. I thought both games were great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they came out at wrong times. Because when know, did it, it, uh, when was Days Immortals, Gone? Days Gone was. 2018, I believe. Oh my god, let's let's just we got Google. Let's just, let's just let's 20. Uh, no, that's Steam 2019. So it came out, it came out, uh, April 26, 2019. And, so, right, yeah, and then Phoenix Rising was was during the pandemic 2020. Yeah, it was annou- announced and released. In the pandemic, damn. I also um, like. I was there's so there was so much potential for a sequel because I really liked Phoenix Rising. I definitely tried to like. I was like, yeah, no, this is actually good. I know we're like burnt out on Assassin's Creed Odyssey. This isn't just the same thing. It's a totally different take. It's really cool. It handled that Greek mythology really well. But the fact that it seems like they were actually going to move on to a different mythology, uh, like it was going for more of like a Polynesian. Mm-hmm thing that that could have been awesome like just their take on that they could have went even crazier because that hasn't been done as much as greek mythology so to like get a glimpse of what we could have gotten just makes it hurt even more yeah that's the thing anyway we've unintentionally picked like bummer news news (laughs) damn like here we are we're so happy we're like dad's not home we Dad's gotta have some home. fun. Let's talk about sad shit. Also, it's funny that we keep referring to Ralph like, oh, oh, Ralph, like, oh, he like, he's is, not in charge. This is a democracy. Yeah, it's true. But here's the it thing: is his if if we're on his YouTube channel, That's if you're true. on the pod, if yeah. you're on the podcast feed, you're right at home. But if you are on the YouTube channel, which a majority of you are, uh, we have to respect yeah. Ralph and what he's built. We don't you have guys to respect his, him. No, I'm kidding. I mean, you guys are his audience, and you you know, with without without your 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 guy here, mm-hmm. we could potentially make you hate us. We could potentially hate oh, his yeah. channel. There's a lot of power and responsibility here. Yeah. Uh, why is so no one Australian? They clicked on the video. They're like, why isn't there an Austin or a Ralph? This is ridiculous. <laughs> I... Oh, shout out to Austin, by the way. He's been yeah. crushing it. Yeah. He's been crushing it on the new show and, and and the reviews that he's been doing. Yeah, yeah the exo. He did uh, the exo primal review. He's he, right he's 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 great yeah. he's he's like a perfect fit like they are yeah. just so on the same wavelength it's perfect i'm ready awesome. to see the skill up brand expand baby let's go let's do it team ralph for brand life. up i don't know brand, brand up, up. 
brand up. Oh, that dude. Jake, you're on fire, man. Uh, is that like the new, this is the new phase up? <laughs> brand up. <laughs> brand, brand up. Sideways heart for the beat. Brand. Well, from the from the negative news to a positive, uh, we did just get an announcement for New Castlevania on Netflix. Uh, this is for the end of September. It's Castlevania Nocturne, September 28th. And there's a teaser trailer that is out as of the time of you you watching this or listening to this. And uh, yeah, I think as it's like Richter Belmont and stuff like that. I feel like now we're getting to the good shit. Oh. Let's, let's go. Did you both watch Castlevania the whole? I didn't finish the last season. Oh, no. I didn't. I also did not finish the last season, <laughs> but I love the first season. Oh, my God. I need you both to end this call and go do it because guys that's the podcast thanks for watching we're gonna go ahead and go (laughs) watch the rest of castlevania i I was so worried that they were gonna like not that they were gonna biff the landing that there was a potential that they could because everything up until that moment had been so good i watched all of the final season of castlevania in one sitting and i was back in the uk at the time and my roommate dave came down and i was in tears because it's like very emotional. There was a lot going on. I was very sad just to say goodbye to the series and bye to the characters. And he came down and he was like, do you need anything? Are you okay? And I was like, no, <laughs> it's just so good. I can't believe it. They've done it. Anyway, it's a, that's a ringing endorsement from me. And I'm so excited to see more of it because, damn, what a show. What a show. Well, I'm in for the spinoff at the very mm. least. I don't like the name. Nocturne. No, I, I'm I'm fine with the name. I think it's just one of those things where naming conventions are so important. Like mm-hmm. Castlevania was so important to so many people on Netflix, they just simply called it Castlevania. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure there's there's a Nocturne is an appropriate title, but yeah, uh, you know, definitely it definitely made me go. Wait, is it is it DLC? Is it a new season? Because that's my brain, my um, my gamer brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, is it a, is it a movie? Is it a one off movie? I don't know. Um, Castlevania but... Gaiden. <laughs> that actually sounds pretty cool. Hell actually, yeah. yeah, I mean, it does sound pretty sick. <laughs> well, let's move on. Let's talk about some games that we've been playing. Let's get into the meat. Uh, new releases. Uh, one of the newest releases is uh, Disney Illusion Island. Gerard, you've been playing this. Uh, I think we talked about it off off like in real life and uh the way you pitched it to me i was like oh wait a minute i want i want to play that so what is the elevator pitch yeah what is it okay uh well first off the game is out today so as you guys are listening to it you can go buy it on your nintendo switch it is a exclusive um it is a four-player combatless metroidvania Okay. You play as as Mickey, Minnie, Donald, and Goofy, and you're on this island uh, that is inhabited by these race of people called the Hoken, and they have a leader named Token, and Token, Token is like, Hoken? hey, yes, exactly. Do all of them rhyme? No. Damn. Well, that's that's the only one with a name okay. uh, that's like any, any important. Essentially, uh, t- uh, Token is a uh, convinces everyone all the our, our our four friends of disney to come to the island for a picnic he basically tricks them and says hey we need your help uh 
there's these uh, three tomes of knowledge that supply all of the source of our land and information, and they've been taken from us, and we need them back, and we need your help. And so immediately the four friends go, yo hope, and they do their thing. And so um, it's fascinating how fun this game was for me, despite there being any kind of actual violence or or combat acquired, right? Mm. Like you don't, the, the point of the game is to not attack every enemy next to you. Every enemy is an obstacle that you have to jump over. And so okay. this game is all about um, momentum and returning to areas in which you've built and established with new skills. So the game starts and a few moments later, you go from having just a jump to a double jump. Uh, and then eventually you get something like a, a hook shot that you swing around on the map. Um, you uh, can also uh, swim underwater or uh, uh, what's another mechanic? My brain's not working. I've been playing this game nonstop. So mm. it's, it's definitely on my mind and my video uh, should be out by the time this podcast is out. Um, you can wall jump and wall climb, which is really fascinating. No, no, not climb, but like wall jump a la Mega Man X. So it's a lot of like sliding down walls into different areas. Um, and the nice thing I like about it, because I did play the whole way through in multiplayer, is that it doesn't have that new Mario Brothers, Super Mario 3D world issue where if you are jumping and colliding with one another, oh, you yeah. don't hurt each other. Oh, you're all on okay. the same page. So you're running around, you're, you're, you know, if you hit each other, nothing happens. You just kind of walk through each other. And that's really great because usually what happens in New Mario Brothers multiplayer is you're running, you run into each other, you grab someone, you accidentally throw them. It's kind of like the, that fun chaos. And then you realize that, oh, that's not nearly as fun. That's fun for like five minutes. Yeah. When you're playing old. like a, yeah, it gets gold yeah. really quickly. Um, one of the Lucy, you'll love this. One of the one of the fun mechanics in the game is uh, when you're playing in multiplayer. Mm -hmm. uh, every player can ask for a hug. Oh, so so Mickey will put his hands out and he's smiling. Minnie will do a cute one. Uh, Goofy's is depressing. Oh, he's just like, can I get a hug? Like it's really <laughs> sad. A cry and, then, <laughs> and then and then Donald is like. I guess I'm asking for a hug. Oh and uh, when you when you're when the characters hug, you get a temporary hit point. Oh, that's so cute. It's like Army yeah. of Two, but but Disney. I love but it. But Disney. Yeah. I still um, have lingering resentment for Donald and Goofy after Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> so I, I, I need I need to get back on the level. Yeah. Um, Collectibles are really fun. There's if you're a completionist, you're gonna like the game. It's it's really interesting. It's it's meant for. For, to play with friends it feels like that way one of the kick-ass things that i really enjoyed about it is uh when playing in a full group you kind of like walk into the camera stays locked on player one mm -hmm. uh but when you go into certain rooms it then kind of zooms out and the the room has the camera and you see all the collectibles and the enemies and the secrets all kind of in front of you and uh by the time like a couple hours into playing the game my friends and i just understood what to do yeah it was like a, it was like a mad dash like I, i'd go up and collect things here you know my partner would go top left and do everything there you know my, my friend would go down underneath and it's almost like all of you guys are just like oh it's a fever dream of collectathons like 
three, two, one break. We, we would never tell each other what we're doing. We're just yeah. going to go do the thing. And it just made it so fun because you're you're all just kind of trusting each other to do it. How and intense if does someone, it get? Is it is it like pri- pr- primarily for kids or is it more like game gamery? It feels very much for kids, um, but the 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 difficulty does amp up towards the end. Um, but it's the kind of game that if you are getting better and better at using the new Metroidvania esque mechanics you unlock, mm-hmm. then you're going to scale with the game um, relatively quickly. Uh, I did two full playthroughs, and it took me 14 hours to complete the whole thing. Um, and there's achievements in the game. Oh. They're called the comp. They're, they're called accomplishments because it's Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Um, and they're all really fun. Like the the you're you're gonna have a good time with it. Um, it's just it's the the selling point is difficult just because it's like there's no combat and you hug people and yeah. it's but honestly I that never once stopped me from enjoying it. Especially me being a huge Disney guy. Like the collectibles, there's there's hidden Mickey's. You know, oh, like that's cute. Yeah. yeah, and and every time you you find a hidden Mickey, you take a selfie with with the team. So it's like, and every selfie is a little bit different and 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 wacky and fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them, Donald is depressed, and like the other three are like, "Hey, we're having a good time," which is always funny. Why are Donald um, and Goofy depressed? Well, it, it Donald is more like I, he's a I hate it. I a grouch. Goofy is the comedic relief the entire time. He's oh. like the funniest written character. Um, but except for when you when you asks for a hug, when he's just like, <laughs> I just want a hug. It's very cute. Gosh. Um, can I get a hug? I, I, I highly recommend you play with friends. It's yeah. gonna make that much of of a, a journey. It is local co op only. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly. I don't think that's a bad thing because have you tried playing a game online with Nintendo Switch? It's not the greatest. Mm. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. If if you like platformers, you like Metroidvanias, uh, you're going to have a good time. It's very well written, very well mm. performed. And it, it the, the art style is from the, the modern uh, is it from Mickey cartoons. They made like those cool... Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's interesting. And, and they, it's interesting even just how so I and like I'm out of the loop with this stuff, but like you don't hear a lot from Mickey Mouse as like a thing. Like as as my like I feel like when we yeah. were younger, it was like he was out there in the forefront. Now it's like, yeah, Disney World and like some things here and there. So They made him a king. A, they made him a who? A king in Kingdom Hearts. He's King Mickey. Uh, yeah, but yeah. It, but but it's but it's not like oh. King Mickey presents Kingdom Hearts. There's like oh no, because there were there was uh, rules about uh, how much they could use him for in at least the first Kingdom Hearts. Like Disney yeah. were very protective of him. So um, protective, but they let him like just like wear a hoodie and be cool. I mean, the I mean, my favorite bit, my favorite Kingdom Hearts moment of all time is it when is he's in just King- standing there like that. No, is in Kingdom Hearts two when you think Goofy's dead. And, and King Mickey like gets his fist and he goes, "They'll pay for this." <laughs> uh, it's like oh, the one God. menacing moment that he has. But I agree, like Mickey's not. It's I don't know. Yeah, I'm not like I know about... people our age and older will love to introduce their kids to it because of like the nostalgia and stuff. But like in in the real cultural zeitgeist, outside of being a Disney person, M- Mickey isn't like too too much of a thing so i feel like a switch game is a cool move because a lot of kids have switches they're gonna see that and go oh 
Who's that? I know and then that. dad will be like, I'll tell you who the who the fuck that is. That's Mickey Mouse, <laughs> goddammit. He was in Roger Rabbit. <laughs> the uh the the speaking of just like the nostalgia of Disney, one of the one of my favorite things about the game is that uh there's a collectible that is called memorabilia. Okay. And I'm amazed they didn't have you collecting pins. That's a big Disney. Move. Uh, I know, right? Um, the the memorabilia. It's like usually three items that are categorized to be from a Disney short or from a Disney animated film. Question. So there's like, yeah. Are there hot dogs like that? Hot dog. Hot dog. I don't think. I think there might be a reference to that. Okay, good. But I don't. I don't know a hundred percent. I mean. Uh, Goofy's uh, Ascend animation is him squirting a bottle of mustard. So that's very good. Yeah, all of Goofy's things are food. Like everyone has like a fun gimmick. Like mm-hmm. Goofy is Goofy's whole bit is that all of his moves are are food themed. Um, Donald's is like <laughs> he's like he he's the one that gets all the short end of the stick. So like all the stuff that he gets is like like his flying animation is he holds two pairs of feathers. To like help him elevate <laughs> because his arms That's are too perfect. small. So does it have um, a lot of that stuff? Because like I just love cartoons. I just love animation. Yeah, it's very beautifully animated, and uh, the game doesn't take itself too seriously. It's it's very fun. Um, but the memorabilia stuff is so interesting, right? Like you you'll see like something from a modern day Disney short that came out a couple of years ago, and then it's like, oh, this is from the Chris- the Disney Christmas special where. Where like, this particular snow globe or this particular hat that you just found, um, or like Steamboat Willie, right? Like mm. these different, um, these different moments throughout Disney history. So if you're a Disney nut and you like those things, like it, it feels good to kind of look and see those collectibles and all the little excerpts are really well written too. So it's just it's super fun. Um, I I feel like it, it is designed for kids by default, but if you are a Disney adult, which here in California. Many people are, they, they, you know, we all have annual passes and when we have friends fly in from out of state who want to go to Disney, we all go to Disney together. So, uh, it, it, it definitely feels like a love letter to, to Mickey and friends, which, uh, is really great. It's, it's super fun. I mean, that initial pitch of Metroidvania without combat, I was like, oh, oh, oh okay, cool. Something different. Definitely, you know? definitely uh, subverts your expectations for sure. It, it was not on my radar, so thank you yeah, now for it putting it on mine. Yeah. Uh, next up, Lucy, Street Fighter Six. You were jumping into this completely Let's go. a new player. And oh yeah. You're you're starting to hone your skills. You're being trained by Tam. So like, I know. how's it been going? So we we're, we're doing some uh, a, a video at work where it's basically like, is it too late to play? is it too late to get into fighting games is it too late to get into street fire and i have always been i can appreciate fighting games i've just never really been exposed to them the way and i've never experienced them the way that they're supposed to be played so my only experience with fighting games genuinely i can i can rattle it off now playing a tekken with my friend beth when we were kids one summer i went to a street fight Oh, uh, no. What's a Soul Calibur launch party? I went to a Street Fighter party. Hell yeah. And Tam taught me how to do a Hadouken uh, a few weeks ago because we have an arcade cabinet and we were playing the six uh, beta. 
and so then that's it. That's all. That's all you. That's had. genuinely it. So what like any time. No. I don't even know what that is, man. Okay, that's fine. Let's move on. <laughs> I'm just like what. Um, and so yeah, every time like if I've ever picked up a, a fighting game, a Tekken or a Mortal Kombat or a street or even a Street Fighter, just like because someone's been playing it around me, I will just button mash and then get. Uh, annoyed with myself because I'm not winning or I don't understand what I'm doing. I don't know what the buttons are. So this video is like a real back to basics about getting into fighting games. And Tam is being coached by Justin Wong himself at the moment. Like Capcom's doing a bunch of streams and Tam is going on like once a month and they uh, Justin's been kind of coaching Tam. And so it's wild to have someone like Tam who is so just understands fighting games, knows how they work, can pull off combos, but also crucially for me, can explain them and why things are the way they are, the way that things link up together to do combos and moves. And so I've been doing that today and it's been really fun, this little sort of, I get the rush that people get now where they execute things properly. I was doing um, some, is it Shoryuken? Shoryuken. Shoryuken. Forward, core, circle, forward, punch. Yes. Uh, or as I say in my head, because I'm using a fighting stick, Z punch. Because I'm doing yep. like... That's what the animation looks like. Yeah. So, on, if you look at it in the... in the, It looks like a Z. Yeah. So that's what I've been saying in my head to get it done. And then uh, the other thing we've been doing is kind of just like... We, we started doing the, the sort of training mode from the very beginning and just like making uh, making sure that I can link stuff. But I've... I'm so surprised with how fast you have to do everything. That's been my uh, my point of contention where I'm just like, you gotta make sure I can do it really quickly. And so uh, we've been shooting this video and I think Tam has, bless him, has had to say the phrase, the same but faster. Like do the same <laughs> but faster, do the same but faster. Cause I'm getting it down. And then when you actually execute, like it felt really good to walk away from the cabinet, go get a drink or something and then come back and just fire it off and be like, okay, yeah, building that muscle memory. So um, it's been really fun. I don't know how, I, I don't know what's next because I feel like I'm obviously in this great position where I have someone actively teaching me and, you know, I have a goal in mind. I don't know if I step away from this, I'm just going to finish the training mode or whatever or finish, I mean, the worldwide, is it worldwide tour mode is meant to be like the thing that you can do and just have fun with. So I might do that. Um, I really world, like the world, vibe. World World Tour mode will let you, in my opinion, it'll, it kind of teaches you the different characters. Yeah. Right. Like you mentor them, you learn. Um, I I I loved World Tour mode. Uh, I thought it was it was a little long. It's mm -hmm. very it's it's a it's bit like long. Ten hours ish. Ten hours. Oh, it's a bit longer than ten hours. Okay. Well, it depends because it kind of it, it's it's almost like um. Well, good job. There's no games coming out. <laughs> yeah, no, no games at all. Both no shit games. Only, it's all, no it's games. only Street Fighter Six for the rest of the year, right, everyone? <laughs> Just Street Fighter Six. Sure. If you, you need to, well, believe, if you need to, if you need us to say that, so you can have a moment of just you know forgetting. <laughs> we can do that for you. Well, Lucy, if you have any interest. To play Street Fighter Six, I will gladly spar and teach you yes, how to play the game. I uh, a long time ago I did a series called the Dojo with my friend Brett and uh, Santel, and I know I've known the fundamentals of, of fighting games for a long time. But the point of the show was uh, for six months, Brett would train me Street Fighter Five, and then we would go to Evo, and I would participate oh, yeah. and um, 
I I did I I did win uh, a set, uh, and I but I then I lost my next set. So it was very interesting <laughs> to kind of have that energy and vibe in the room. Um, but yeah, I I could definitely sit down with you and and teach you some of the basics yeah, if you'd like. Yeah, Evo twenty twenty four. Yeah, Gerard's dojo. Wow, I mean my two, my two, yeah, my two bearded, yeah, yeah, my two bearded guides, you and Tam. Yeah, if uh, uh, Tam's your Ryu and I'll be your Zangief. Yes. Now I know who that is. Oh, I knew <laughs> Ryu, but <laughs> Zangief's the big dude, the big beard man. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Is M Bison? Who's the green guy? Blanca. Blanca. That's the one. I couldn't remember his name earlier. I'm sorry. Blanca. Stan. It's okay. He won't be mad at you. It's okay. Well, along with that, uh, I've been playing Remnant 2. I put out a video on on Game Ranks and First Impressions. It's cool. Uh, I didn't play a lot of the first one, but I had a friend Mm -hmm. who played a lot of it, so I heard a lot about it. So I was excited to just go into this one. And uh, it's, it's pretty much what i expected it's it's like the original but it just seems like there's there's way more to it and uh a lot of people kind of describe it as dark souls with guns yeah but- so i've i've never played it i don't even think i've seen any videos of it so the only thing i am going off is people saying oh it's dark souls with guns what yeah, is the I don't actual think that kind of, i think that's not a good like okay. i guess technically yeah but to me it's it's more of just like a co-op third person looter shooter but okay. with really cool vibes, it's challenging, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of it is randomly generated. So okay. you're experiencing. You know, so if you're not playing cooperatively and you just have another friend playing, like mm-hmm. they're gonna come upon things or just have completely different biomes and levels that you're not. You're like, what? You're in a spaceship? I'm in the woods right now. What? That's crazy. Um, and then like enemy encounters and even like sub story beats and stuff are gonna pop up at different times, which is pretty cool. And that helps encourage, you know, replayability. Like the first Mm. game was kind of like a sleeper hit and people were obsessed with it because it was like you played it a bunch. It was always a little different. And then you could roll a new character and jump back in again and things would still be different again. And you could build up a whole different character class. So it's, it's good for that. And what helps is that the shooting is good. The shooting is tight. It's very good snappy third person shooting which i tend to like i like third person shooters but like you know you got like repeater weapons sniper rifles shotguns pistols and uh a dodge roll and then some special abilities so it's pretty video game it's pretty straightforward but there's just something about it that is extra cool i don't know if it's like the boss and enemy designs it's not really the story for me Mm -hmm. but it's it's just everything else and now you just have way more you can do compared to the last game there's there's way more ways to build out your character uh in terms of like the rpg aspect of it like your stats your perks you basically become this like perk stacked monster where oh, you I just keep acquiring and adding perks and then you're also equipping a bunch more gear that also has all these crazy wildly different perks so you're kind of just being built up to being this like crazy weird hybrid character because eventually you're doing two specializations at once kind of like a hybrid so there's there's a lot to it and there's a lot to like sink your teeth into where yeah it's a straightforward third person rootin' tootin' shooting with a friend but the character build stuff is is really cool yeah i'm just looking yeah, at it I'm, now 
I'm getting a lot of like I I I understand the the Dark Souls comparison, but I think the way that the the combat even looks and the animation reminds me a lot of like Gears of War, where it has yeah. like this kind of like dodging and yeah, and, it's Gears of War um, with no cover basically. Yeah, yeah, but I will say the Dark Souls part is very evident when you see the enemies approaching. Yeah, I was yes. going to say just some have this, like, character manic, design. like, like, they're definitely going to come at you. And it's and challenging. You to react. Like, you can, like, even, like, I played as the heavier class for most of it, um, like the tank. Uh, you can still die pretty quickly. Mm. So mm. that's, you got to, like, really be on your toes. And then, of course, yeah. like, some very formidable over-the-top bosses that just kind of make yeah. you go, oh, shit, you know? Yeah, yeah we'd have people just, uh, you know, if things have some of the hallmarks of a Souls game, it's like it just automatically gets slapped with that label. Yeah. Even if a, it is completely different. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like the, the conversation gets so muddled because I think it is now at this point a significant and important subgenre. <laughs> but it's a it's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot and then people just kind of like meme it. And yeah, in this instance, like Dark Souls with guns, like I think that's a good way to like just get people interested in it because like, yeah, it's 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 not a hard sell, but it's like a lot of words that you've heard before in other games. So it's a good way to get people in the door. But I think I think it's more than Dark Souls with guns. It's just a yeah. cool, well thought out third person shooter co-op looty thing, which isn't even t- typically a type of game I'm drawn to. Mm-hmm. But here it definitely definitely worked and it seems like the community is digging it i know there's been some pc performance issues but now that it's out and people have been kind of playing through it i'm hoping to see it have the legs that the original game had because for a while people were playing it and they supported it with a bunch of stuff it's like it's like really big on steam great reviews Mm -hmm. and stuff so I, i hope i hope this one kind of is the same thing yeah, I'm intrigued. I I think I have code for it. Or is it on is it on Game Pass? I have code for it. I think I'm just gonna play. We'll, get, we'll squad up. I would be down. I I I'm a fan of sticking with the with the squad that yeah that would if like someone knows stuff. what they're doing yeah can lead us yeah. through. Yeah, I'll tell you guys I, what to shoot. Be like, shoot yeah. that thing. <laughs> shoot that guy. A- aim down sights. <laughs> No, but it, it, it's cool, and it, I think it is definitely worth checking out. Even if you didn't play the first one, that's the biggest thing I wanted to get across. It's like it's not yeah. like a sequel. I mean, like it is a sequel, but it's not like the story doesn't like matter that much. It's it's a it's a gameplay game, <laughs> so you can just jump into this and see why people fell in love with the loop and the whole concept from the first one. Yeah. Hell yeah, I'm in. Let's play it. But along with that, we have Exoprimal, uh, which. I have not played. Uh, have, have you guys played that? No, I have not. Well, uh, it has surpassed one million players on Game Pass, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's uh, actually I didn't totally expect that because reviews dropped and it, it was just kind of like, I don't know. I didn't really see reviews blow the doors down or anything. But I remember Ralph talking about it on the podcast and he made it sound pretty interesting. So I, I'm still probably going to try and give it a shot at some point. Yeah. Oh God. I <laughs> so I did a YouTube search for Exo Primal, and the first video is like this <laughs> this picture of one of the characters with like massive tits, and the title is Exo Primal just got a lot bigger. And I'm like, <laughs> they oh know. my gosh! <laughs> you see the one I've seen? <laughs> well, I'm just like, 
Okay, okay to, be fair, to be <laughs> fair, to be fair, that person, that person uses that same image on all their thumbnails. So damn, it's well, not just got a my attention. You're not talking about the before you buy, are you? <laughs> I didn't do that one. <laughs> no, the before no. you buy is right underneath that. Of course. And it looks like, okay, look, if you want to have a fun little experiment, uh, type it into YouTube, everyone, and then just look as the dinosaur is is mouth opening trying to consume the booba. Oh, is that what of that the thumbnail, is? Of the thumbnail oh. above it. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was very good. All right. So, Exoprimal, we haven't played it. I just thought it was worth bringing up for a second. Yeah. Uh, it was also, one of the big I releases. I forgot to mention one thing uh, with Remnant 2. Starts a little rough. You might find mm -hmm. a little boring, a little grindy in the beginning, but just, just give it some time. I know you've probably heard that about a million games, but I definitely wanted to share that about this one. How long would you give it? What's the... Ah... Uh, couple hours two two yeah two to four that's hours fine. maybe yeah that's fine i mean persona 5 is one of my favorite games of all time and you have to say to people okay the first 10 hours are really slow but after that <laughs> after that it's an old timer yeah i you know what i didn't have the same effect lucy i was i was plugged in from the beginning oh no like vibe wise because i was familiar with persona i was like i know this is all set up this is gonna be handholdy but you know trying to explain to people who are not necessarily as familiar i was like yeah. please just get past this palace and then you're good just yeah. you know and then you've got another hundred hours love it love it for completion it's definitely <laughs> no 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 no, no. I'm okay playing shorter games. I like big games too, but I also like breathing. I like going yeah. for walks and playing with my dogs. Yeah. Speaking of playing dogs, uh, playing with dogs, let's take a, a question from uh, some some users. That was a bad segue. So, make so, any sense. No, hold on. Speaking hold on. of dogs. Have, no, hold on. So <laughs> where is the dog in this? Are, are are the users the dog? No, no, no. Uh, the, okay. I, was I just I just did a hail mary, hoping the question would involve wait, dogs because I haven't read the question. Are the users the wrong. dogs? You know, like oh, the homies. Yeah, the oh, homies. Speaking like of the dogs, dogs. Yeah. there we yeah. go. Okay. Diamond yeah. dogs, Metal Gear, go. Oh. Yeah, um, or Ted Lasso, <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so uh, if you ever want to send us questions, we have a handy dandy email for that. It is contact at friendspersecond.com. Thank you. Thank you, users, <laughs> for this question. This comes from Kat and Chris. They say so many beloved studios have released poorly received titles over the last decade, say BioWare's Anthem, Cyberpunk at Launch, Arcane's Redfall. Why do we focus on studios missing instead of individual directors or contributors? We don't go to the movies hoping to watch the latest production from Lionsgate or Warner Brothers, we hope to watch the latest movie from Wes Anderson or Martin Scorsese. Should we change the way we think about game production and creative involvement? That's an interesting question because mm. both things take massive amounts of people mm -hmm. to accomplish a vision. Yes. Oftentimes... They're both led by a director with a vision. Mm -hmm. I think as well, though, you talk about studios. I think within the context of the question, 
I I would say you do kind of talk about Marvel and DC the same way, right? Like it's or more A24. about the f- oh, yeah. It's, I got a new A twenty four banger yeah, coming out. Where it's like it's more about <laughs> the studio because it's more about maybe the franchise or whatever that it's tied to. I think with video games in particular, hang on, I'm trying to think about how to uh, phrase this. Studios are so big; hundreds of people work on everything. It's very it's also very rare I guess where you get a game developer who is exalted to the Kojima, the Ken Levines, like the the Luke Smiths or Brian Interhouse or whoever where they are like a name that you can just pull, right? Because it is it's always it's a Ubisoft game. It's the latest from Arcane. And I wonder if that's as well because turnover, you know, the people working on the new Mass Effect is not the same team. It's like a ship of Theseus uh, Bioware now. It's like, it's, you know, it is Bioware in name, but it's not the original Bioware team who are working on the new Mass Effect. Like Casey Hudson's gone and Mac Walters is gone. But, you know, there is um, a couple of people who definitely worked on the originals. And so maybe that's why it's just like, it's a turnover thing. It is a... A, a staffing thing in terms of the fact that games take so many people to make and you know it's not as easy as saying you know if you think about how a director of a movie has the overall creative vision that still has to go down to different people like director of photography to make it look good and in terms of video games there are all of these different departments ui lighting game design so the thing that you might actually love about a game is yes, the original creative element might have come from a creative director, but it's implemented by a different person. And so maybe it is just easier to say CD Projekt Red. Whereas, yeah, to... I think as well, part of it is the fact that video game development is uh, deliberately obfuscated. uh, And people don't necessarily know that that person is responsible for that thing. And so... That's a very good question, and I think there's a lot of answers. I think uh, the other perspective could be, and it's not like union busting by any means, because they're obviously, you know, there should be video game unions as they've been popping up the last couple of years. But I also think that the studios are fearful, are possibly fearful of giving the ball to the auteur in the room that is the project, right? Like. You saw what happened with Kojima and Konami, yeah. right? Like that you saw that and you were like, maybe that wasn't the right idea for I for either party in that instance, um, just of how it all kind of panned out. All of us were like, Kojima can do no wrong. We'd love to see another Metal Gear, so on and so forth. The minute he was gone from Konami, they were like, Hey, remember Metal Gear? Kojima, it's not a Hideo Kojima game anymore. Like that was mm-hmm. a purposeful thing. And on the other side of the of the, of the coin, you've got the Toby Foxes of the world, the one man, and, you know, the Dan Salvatos of the world. These guys, these these creative visionary people who are one one person trying to to with with the team of obviously a few trying to um, intrinsically build a creative vision from the ground up. Um, because they are the vision, right? You know, it's if you are gonna creatively direct something like it has to be done that the person it's almost like uh if you're doing a school project with someone and someone in the group is like hey i have the idea the vision the execution but i can't execute everything 
that person's going to take on majority of the responsibility themselves. And at that point, the person in the group is probably the person who you want to be doing it because they're the ones that have mm-hmm. that creative force. It works in some instances, right? But when you have massive teams of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people working on a single game, that's way more complicated. And mm-hmm. I think if you, if I, I wouldn't even know where to start yeah. if, if working at somewhere like Santa Monica Studio where they all have to work on this singular vision of what Ragnarok is. And, and it's just, it's crazy. And, and I think how, and as the game industry evolves, you kind of talked about it earlier, Lucy, it's a revolving door. A lot of people are tired of working on one title for yeah. four or five years, right? Production babies, you know, films take nine months, traditionally speaking, whether, you know, estimation wise games take four times that. You know, it's 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 a different beast altogether. Um, you have to really believe the person in charge who is at the helm to make it work. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think that's hard to to just kind of you can't just like throw a dart at someone and go like and now you're in charge, right? There's there's a level of pedigree and 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 um, respect kind of attached to it. What are your thoughts, Jake? I, I also just think it's such a it's very like case by case and in flux. There's there's so much to consider where it's like yeah, which publisher, which movie studio, the industries are are, are different. I I agree right. with you guys, yeah. but it's also too like the level of um, paying attention, if you will. You mm. know, like mm. some people could really like love movies and know more and be like, oh man, uh, Roger Deakins did the DP of this one, but I didn't like the way it looked. What did he? What was he thinking? Like, or like, oh, no one would ever say that about Roger no one would ever. Yeah, oh, come on. no one would ever say that. Or like, you know, video game side, like some of the more in deep like news narratives. Be oh, Jason DeHarris is leading the combat. Cool. Like, yeah, there's there's levels to it. You know, I also think well, as well in terms of so there's there's two other things that came to mind with this one when it's a studio you get um even even early when we talk about remnant right it's dark souls with guns there is an association that is made there purely because the fact you mentioned dark souls with studios it's from the team who brought you the witcher 3 that immediately sets up an expectation right and so with game developers because as we said like folks move around a lot it's from the people who brought you Call of Duty and XYZ and any other franchise, it kind of creates an expectation rather than being, oh, just this one person did it. If you bring in more people, you get to put more kind of unconscious attachments to the title or whatever it is you're working on. But the other reason I wonder, and I liked, I would like to think this is to minimize Fallout, but look at the way game developers are treated on Twitter. Do you think as well that it's more of a team effort to lessen the blow? I don't think it's been deliberately thought through that way, but I don't know. That's something that I guess movie directors do have to deal with, but also they are less online. Like Christopher Nolan's not on Twitter, is he? Or X, whatever whatever the hell, you know. Martin Scorsese's definitely not. Wes Anderson, you know, they live in an, and exist in a different world, whereas video games are so intrinsically linked with the concept of being online because for a long time, that is how video game players found each other, was like cultivating online communities. And that is a, just a part of being in gaming. And maybe if you detach a name or a figurehead from something, 
you could lessen the brunt of the internet's ire. But I think that is wishful thinking on my part. I don't think anyone does that deliberately. I think it's just more control messaging. It is the studio. That's where the money comes from. Um, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, movies, video games, they're all greenlit by like a money man, corporate executive at the top, all yeah. coked up, you know? I just yeah. wish maybe they'd make like the old Hollywood type producers do more video, like like Robert Evans, like being like, ah, oh, let's make a movie. Let's make a picture, but do hey, it with video games. I'm going to make you a star, kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excellent question, though. Thank mm-hmm. you very much, Kat and Chris, for that. Like we said, contact at friendspersecond.com if you want to submit a user question. Did I get the contact right? I you did? did. Okay. Okay, good. Well, <laughs> Gerard, kick us into our next segment. This day in gaming, or as we call it this week in the way back, this is celebrating games uh, within this week, anniversaries to make us all feel old or feel young, depending on who you are. <laughs> uh, Lucy, let us start with you. 2010. It was a simpler time. It was a better time. And a little game called Limbo came out, which just, man, deceptively... I mean, actually, it's not deceptively simple. It is simple to control and navigate and just go from left left of screen to right of screen. But I've, I don't remember feeling or playing a game that had such a a feeling, a presence, an oppressive atmosphere as Limbo. Incredible paired back sound design. Like every single thing in that game felt so purposeful. And that came out 13 years ago. It's out on, you can play it on iPhone now. It's out everywhere. And it's still remembered so fondly just because it was so different and it's so creepy and weird and the giant spider guy. Oh God. Anyway. And also if you haven't played Inside, you owe it to yourself to play Inside. It is fantastic. But Limbo, what a game. What a game. 13 years ago. Jake. Too long ago. Uh, For me, it is the original Max Payne 22 whopping years ago. 2001 the game that i wouldn't say changed everything for me but it was like it was like the second thing really it was like the final nail in the coffin it was metal gear solid and then max Payne. for me as a movie lover i was i was in heaven uh at this point i don't even know what there is to say about max Payne. for me it always comes back to james motherfucking mccaffrey the voice acting Absolutely incredible. The way he chews those lines, the the way the whole thing is presented in this noir style, there's nothing like it. There's no other video game like this from presentation to vibe and atmosphere, a blizzard ridden, lonely, quiet New York City, uh, you know, a loose cannon cop on the edge, of course, like, but there's so much around it that makes it weirder and special. And of course, that's the remedy and Sam Lake touch. And it just, I, I really think that it, 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 like, and I worry about them like remaking it. Like it's going to be so hard. I was going to gonna ask you how idea. you feel about that. Yeah. I'm, I'm down that like they're doing it. You know, I think they still probably definitely understand what they made. Uh, but it's, it's, it's hard. It's going to be hard to re cause like the original Max Payne was also a little creepy, a little unsettling. Mm as much as it was awesome and badass. And um, I, I think that's that's a hard uh, tightrope to walk, but I feel really strongly about like the weird nightmare sequences. Keep them, 
you know, as messed up and tedious and weird and annoying as they were, they were so mentally draining. It was perfect. It, it's such like a oddly cerebral game, uh, considering what it is. And mm. even when it was 2001, so I was like, what, 12? I was like a 13-year-old kid. And I I didn't even, like, I couldn't even understand a lot of concepts that, you know, the game was trying to. And I still was like, oh, there's something different about this one. This is more than just cool guy third-person shooter. Mm. And I, I think for that to come across to a 13-year-old is pretty good. Like, all the meta stuff, Lords and Ladies, the TV show. It's just so special. Top to, and I've been in love with Remedy ever since. And like, I know I kiss Remedy's ass a little bit, but like, I can't help it. It's a good game. It's a good game. It's one of my favorites, honestly. I was I was gonna pick Max Payne, uh, but that's okay because I'm gonna I'm gonna my game I'm gonna pick. It's gonna make all of you feel incredibly old. Are you ready for this one? Let's do it. Oh, here yeah. we go, everyone. July twentieth, nineteen eighty three. Can I get a guess from anyone? Eighty three. Eighty three. Okay, well, this is not the one you have written down. So I was like, two thousand four yeah. was okay. I, cha- I changed it. <laughs> I changed it. <laughs> yeah, um, forty years ago, on July twentieth, the original Mario Brothers in the arcade. Oh my god. Oh wow. The one the one screen game where Mario and Luigi are attacking each other with the shells and the mm. crabs and such. The original Mario Brothers. Because people think that that is the original the original Mario Brothers is, you know, da 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 da. That's ah. not the original. Yeah. The original is this arcade game called Mario Bros. Starring Mario Luigi and a bunch of Koopas and Crabs. 40 years ago, everyone. Can I, can I ask you guys a question? Bones. Can I? Yeah. Can yes. I, does that game suck? Like, I don't like that game. It's not, it's not, a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's meant to be a simple a arcade thing. Simple arcade game. It, yeah. there, the progression is nonsensical. Yeah. It, there's no yeah. narrative. You're just, you're trying to get the other player to mess up and miss time of jumping and hit by a Koopa shell or run into an enemy that's on its back. Like that's, it's, it's a versus game. It's not meant to have a lot of depth to it. Mm. Just give us your quarters. Yeah. Give us all your money. It's up to This is, this is for the description. It's up to you to kick punch and knock out these sewer pests before time runs out. But beware, just when you think you got rid of all of them, they come back for more. Oh God. That's it. That's all the uh, give us like quarters. It wasn't even like B two brothers on a quest to. Clean oh, the I pipes. just skipped. I I skipped ahead. Okay. Mario and Luigi are doing some underground plumbing when all sorts of weird creatures come flying out of the pipes. Turtles, crabs, and even fighter flies attack the helpless Mario Bros. All right. Do crabs go in pipes? I don't think they maybe. do. In, they they do in New York apparently. Watch yourself. <laughs> You haven't got any serial killers, but the crabs are back. 1983 New York. You don't know where those crabs are at, my dude. Well, It's a different time. It could have been Teenage Mutant Ninja Crabs, if only. (laughs) It would have been delicious. That that, and that is this week in the way back. Back to you, Jake. Well, if you think about it, Shredder's always like, oh, turtle soup. I'm going to have turtle soup. Crab soup is way more delicious. He'd have like a crab bisque. Ooh, yep. I love anyway, bisque. that's it for my bits. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been an episode of the Friends Per Second podcast. 
We are here every other week. We're here on video. We're here on all your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, thank you very much for choosing to listen to us. We really appreciate it. Uh, hope you enjoyed that interview we had. Uh, shout out to Sven for uh, hanging out with us. Really appreciate that. Uh, that about wraps it up, right? Uh, yeah. What do you guys got going on? Uh, Immortality Audiologues is up on GameSpot. So we had this awesome chat with Sam Barlow. I feel so bad because it was an, a two hour long thing. And we cut it down to 15 minutes because of, yeah. Brutal. And it's, so I, w- I want to put it up as a podcast because there was so much cool stuff that he talked about. But uh, very proud of the team for putting that all together. Um, Chris and Richard in the edit, absolute wizards. So I want to give them a shout out. And other than that, um, getting ready to go to Gamescom and then PAX, which will be very exciting. Can't wait to see Gerard there. Um, yeah, just I'm doing a bunch of stuff. You know me, always beavering away. And I'm on Twitter. X. I'm on X. Get I'm on X, saying, guys. I'm on X. I'm on X. Uh, I'm on X. As uh, <laughs> at Lucy James Games. And I'm on Threads and Blue Sky and literally everywhere, the same username. Blech. Anyway. Blech. Uh, I my video on on I'm gonna say Castle of Illusion. That's the original. My uh video on Disney Illusion Island is out right now. So if you want to go watch it, if you don't want to buy it, you can watch my video. Uh, I guess mine's like not before you buy, but like you don't want to buy, but you want to watch it anyways. I guess that's You're the vibe of my stuff. Buy it. Intrigued, intrigued to look at it. You can yeah. watch my video. Um, also, if you are in PAX West this upcoming September, uh, I'm doing my one-man comedy show, The Completionist Legacy, uh, with Kat Icarus, the YouTuber, as my opening act. September 1st. Tickets are available right now. Tickets are only 30 bucks. Uh, they're more expensive if you buy them at the door. Uh, but if you're in Seattle, come on by. And for those of you who are in the UK, I am doing a one-time only performance in London, September 24th at Dingwalls, which is a pretty like iconic uh, music venue, I've heard. Where is that, Where is that in London? Uh, Dingwalls. Ding oh, ding walls. Ding walls. Oh yes, it's I a have very been famous, here. very Camden. famous. Yes, oh, in Camden. yes, I have been here. Holy shit, man, that's awesome. Yeah, so if you're in London, come on by. I never go to London. I'm never there for anything. Uh, so please come on by. And again, tickets are pretty cheap. I'm I'm just a guy talking. I'm telling stories, doing comedy. It's a fun old time. What about you, Jake? What do you got going on? Me, I'm just, you know, doing my thing, putting out videos on Game Ranks during the day, on my YouTube channel at night. Uh, I'm getting back into the swing of things on my channel because I've been moving. So I got some cool ideas I'm excited to tell you guys about off camera um, that I will be putting on the channel uh, over the next month or so, uh, as well as actually maybe having a normal backdrop uh, because I'm moving in. I'm building out like a cool little home office. I'm going to try and make it look like a like a haunted mansion. It's going to be spooky. I can't wait. Uh, But we'll see if that even comes to fruition. You know, expectations versus reality. It could look like shit. But I've never decorated a room before. So we'll see what happens. But uh, that's it. That's it for us. Uh, You can find the Friends Per Second podcast on all your favorite social media platforms. And we got a Clips channel on YouTube. It's just the name of the podcast if you want to check that out. But that's it. Tie your shoes and go to bed.
Thank you.